If like Hell yeah, dude. I am for one very impressed by how you memorized all these old Rikshi's names, which I can I can barely even remember the current ones. So <laughs> <laughs> like very impressive. Great job. Hell yeah. Well, I'm super I have like an like an obsessive personality. So when I get into something, I want to tell. I can learn tell. <laughs> I want to learn everything about it from all time. In high school, that was David Bowie. So there's like, if you look at the bookshelf back there, there's, I don't know, seven or eight David Bowie books, all of which I've read. Because that, oh, like, yeah. that was my thing at that time. I know everything about David Bowie that there is to know. Not quite as like, I'm a little rusty since then, because it's mm -hmm. been a while. But there have been a few things here and there. And the most recent, uh, like really, the one with staying power has been Sumo, because I got into it late 2019. And it's just been like my number one interest since then. It's all I want to read about. It's all I want to watch. It's all I want to draw about. It's, you know, that's just, it's my thing. Nice. Um, I love one that. of the things we usually ask people during these interviews is like, what kind of music are you into? And so Bowie is an excellent choice. Um, true. I've got the posters. The <laughs> yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Very nice. Yeah, yes. Uh, hell can, yes. Let's not, if you get me started, it'll become a David Bowie podcast. <laughs> but lately, as in like very lately, I've been listening to um, the Grace Jones cover of La Vie and Rose by Edith Piaf, which is really good, really good. It's a banger. Um, the original is also a banger. Everything by Edith Piaf is a banger if like French music from the 40s can be a banger, but I think it can. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I've been having like a Biggie Smalls phase. Like I've been, yes. just, I don't know. Like hypnotize will come on in the car and I'm like, this is the greatest song ever. <laughs> <laughs> and then Hell yeah. So here's here's my problem. And this is something like I said, there's nothing I won't talk about. Um, but I'm not gonna look great here. For me, <laughs> it takes a tremendous amount of like public notoriety for someone to be on my radar enough for me to think maybe it's time I like look into this person. And mm -hmm. that notoriety can be for any reason, good or bad. So about a year ago a sort of cascading um, downward spiral, I won't say began, because it had been happening for a long time. Uh, I feel like this is going to be about Trent Reznor no. of Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> okay, okay. I was going to get excited for a moment, because like that's one of the ones that I'm obsessed with. But anyway, the, continue. The, the avalanche of Kanye West's career. Oh, shit. Up. And so about a year ago, I was yes. like, you know what? Fuck it. Maybe it's time I get into Kanye. Let's see what this is. And that journey has carried on. And then, of course, you know, it's only after I decide to get into Kanye and like the end of the year. So my Spotify rap is already like it's signed and delivered <laughs> that all this horrible shit, you know, really pops off. It's not to say he'd never done anything sus in the past, but like, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. breaking records at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's that's been a that was a definitely a lot of my um my rotation over the last <laughs> probably eight months or so. Uh trying to phase it out. It's hard, you know. I mean he's he's got he's got I don't need to say this, he's got some great songs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, um, I do listen to, I've been listening to a lot of Anka, which is like, it's a, it's a Japanese music genre that's from like predominantly yeah. enjoyed by septuagenarians. And I say that because <laughs> I brought it up to my Japanese teacher who's 78 years old. And I said, I've been really listening to Anka a lot lately. And she's like, I love Anka. <laughs> so we bonded over that, but um, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's good. All half the songs sound the same, but they're all great. So you can't complain. Um, nice. I yeah. think these are some of the more, even with Kanye thrown in there, 
some of the more unique answers we've gotten to that question. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I like it. Shaking it up. Hell yes. Hello, my name is Sabrina, and if I had testicles, they would be so fucking huge that I could lounge around in them like they were a giant beanbag chair. <laughs> and just, you know, sit there, like, nestled in my scrotum, playing video games, whatever. It's so cozy in there. Yeah, and warm. <laughs> and this is Matt. And if I had labias, I would take my labia menorah and I would stretch them out like huge bat wings and I would jump off of tall buildings and attempt to glide around town. <laughs> And, and this, this is, is Sumo Punks! punks. <laughs> Woo! So wings! Would you already have giant labias, or would you stretch them out until they were giant? I guess I'd have to stretch them out until they were giant. Okay, so you wouldn't already have just, like, literal beef curtains. I mean, they would be, like, retracted. You know, they'd be okay. rolled up. It'd, it'd be, like, two, like, big cigars, you know, <laughs> just, like... Chilling like beneath my my labia majoris. A couple of ancient scrolls between your legs. Yeah, and then I would roll them out like huge fucking bat wings, and I'd say the magic words, which is of course bat, and then yeah, just like <laughs> and just fly around. It'd okay. be fucking great. All right. Well. We okay. So it. that. <laughs> Moving on. We have a very long episode today, but oh, we it's had great. a very entertaining guest. So let's go ahead and just blow right through these upcoming events. We do have a lot of very exciting upcoming oh, events. Hell though. yeah. So coming up very soon in like two days, basically. <laughs> February 25th, the SoCal Sumo Open Tournament hosted by Honu Sumo in San Diego, California. <sighs> we are going to be doing the commentary on the live stream for this tournament. Yes, we are. Yeah, so tune in to the Maximum Effort Studios channel on YouTube if you want to check that out. And you can also find links on the Honosumo Instagram. They're, they've been sending links out. They got all kinds of like wild pictures of all the fucking participants. They've oh, got yeah. wild pictures of us. So many cool competitors. Yeah, it's going to be fucking great. I am so stoked. The only thing that makes this somewhat disappointing is that we can't be there in person. Yeah. I would have loved to go to fucking San Diego, but we do have Texas representation, so that's going to be cool. That's I'm... true. Yeah. All right. March 11th, the 2023 U.S. National Sumo Championships. Oh, my God. Ah! So this tournament is the qualifier for the 2023 World Championships, which would be held in Japan and the World Combat Games, which is kind of one of those things that's held every few years. So anyway, this is going to be held at Orlando Indoor Soccer in Orlando, Florida. You could definitely find more information uh, on the internet. Oh yeah, <laughs> so there's tons of information out there. Talk to Cornelius Booker, nationals. talk to Kyle Ferreter, and talk to Ryan White. And yes. uh, they're pretty easy to find in the sumo land. So if you have questions, just you know, ask a sumo dude. Then on March 25th is the Kuma Sumo Bash. This is going to be hosted by the Antioch Sumo Bears of Antioch High School. That's right. A sumo club in a high school in the U.S. The children's are our future. Indeed they are. 
all junior boys and girls division, so no adults, just the children's. They'll also have demonstrations and instructions. This is going to be held at Antioch High School in Antioch, Tennessee. And keep an eye out for more information on this. You could go to Instagram on the uh, the TN Sumo account. Do we say Tennessee Sumo or a TN Sumo? Whatever. It's I a, mean, it's TN Sumo. It's the, the abbreviation Instagram. for yeah. yeah. <laughs> April the 29th. That is a Saturday. This is going to be the Rollertown Showdown Sumo Tournament at Rollertown Bear Works in Salina, Texas. Yeah, is it Salina or Salina? I I heard someone say Salina. I was I've been corrected both ways. Honestly, I'm just going to go to that 7-Eleven by Rollertown yeah, and ask. Is. It doesn't matter. Same but we're going to be there, and we're oh, going to. Yeah. There's going to be vendors. They're going to have. Uh, there's a beer that's going to be released. Uh, a Dallas Sumo Club inspired beer, mm-hmm. and I believe that's going to be rolled out the 28th which is that friday so you could go to rollertown the 28th try the new beer get psyched up about it and then show up for the sumo tournament on the 29th get even more jazzed up on that new beer and scream your face off while fucking dudes just run at each other fucking full throttle and then there's going to be women folk running at each other full throttle there's going to be everyone bashing into each other full throttle and people are going to be having beers going to be food there's going to be loudness it's going to be raucous and it's going to be fun yeah. So you should fucking go if you live in Texas or anywhere near. Man, fuck it. If you live in New York, just fly out here and fucking <laughs> give it. I'm talking about you, Oscar Dolan. <laughs> and as always, you can track upcoming events at sumo411.com, which is a very useful website created by Yamamoto Sumo Dojo's own Kellyanne Ball. You can also find a lot of international Amazumo events on there, too. Yeah. So we got to sit down with Noah Wellbrock Tally. That's what this episode is about. It's all about him and how fucking cool he is <laughs> with his fantastic fucking drawings and his spicy taste. Spiciest. That's what on, I loved about this. On dude. the world of pro sumo. <laughs> so he actually does artwork that is used as prizes for the Sumo Kaboom podcast bingo competition that they have every boss show. And for um, Scott Finley. World of Sumo. World of Sumo uh, tournament competitions that they have as well. Yeah. So his art is featured all over the Sumo internet. More than likely, you have seen it. If you're a sumo person, you've seen his art. If you've seen a charcoal drawing that looked like a photograph at first, it's probably his. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's fucking amazing. Especially if it's Taki Keisho. Yeah. And he has, uh, he does like paintings and, oh, oh, what's the other one that he does? Oh, like the chibi art. Yeah, his digital dudes. His digital dudes. Yes. I've seen lots of people with stickers of his artwork. He's just got. This huge fucking obsession with sumo, and uh, he just creates these amazing works of art that are sumo themed. So we have a a pretty long episode with him just because there was so much fun stuff to talk about. So we're going to go ahead and get right into it now. Here is Noah Wellbrock Tally. been recorded by the host or a participant got it i got yeah. it zoom we're doing it yeah they want to make the extra sure that you know you're being recorded <laughs> everything does that nowadays unless it's the cia listening in then it's like we're not going to tell you that we but we know 
we know. Hi, CIA. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for watching me through my light switch. You know, always, always keeping an eye out. We always appreciate there. that. <laughs> anyway, today we have Mr. Noah Welbrock Tully. Cleared that first hurdle. It's a big name. It, it is. You know what I said earlier? It sounds like the name of a British lord. And then he told me that you were in Kansas. And I was like, okay, a Kansasian lord or whatever a, a you Kansan. call people. Sure. A Kansanese <laughs> lord, whatever. You know, if you hadn't told her that, we could have done a <laughs> prank the whole show. I binge watched all five seasons of The Crown and I'm... <laughs> Excuse me, I've watched a lot of Downton Abbey, so I think I could handle this. You have a very well-crafted accent. Like, I can hear the nuance of that. I can do Scottish, too, but I think Scott Findlay might give me shit for it. Yeah, he'd fly out to the U.S. to kick your ass, and it'd be really funny. Man, Scott Findlay was, like, so much fun. I see a lot of your stuff, like, on, um, like, his videos. Oh, yeah, yeah, this guy's an artist, by the way. Yeah, he is Uh, an artist. Yeah, visual. Visual artist, and if you've ever been anywhere on the uh, the sumo social medias, you have seen his stuff. I guarantee. Oh, oh yeah, very good. I I really love the uh, photorealistic. I think they're charcoal drawings of uh, the pro Rikshi, right? Yeah, yeah. I just oh literally God. I finished the new one like an hour ago. Takakesho <gasps> here. Oh. oh wow! Because so I do these. I started doing them just for fun, like shortly after I got into sumo, which was actually not that long ago um a few years and scott does um these competitions through world of sumo and i'm sure he'll be happy i'm plugging him um where i think they the way it works is you pick a team and the team with the best like score collectively at the end is the winner and the top prize for the last couple of years has been um one of my drawings because he asked if i'd be willing to do that and i or maybe i offered i don't even remember but I have been doing it for a while. I am glad because when I started doing it, it was just Terra no Fuji, Terra no Fuji, Terra no Fuji. <laughs> and when somebody wins all the time, I just sort of, unless I loved them from the beginning and I wasn't around long enough to like experience the whole Terra no Fuji story from start to finish. So when he showed up, I was just like, ah, oh, who the fuck's this guy? Like, <laughs> I kind of feel the same just, way. Yeah. He was just eating everybody up and I was getting really sick of drawing him. And I wanted to continue to do this until I got enough, like I did it long enough to draw Takakesho because I started after November 2020 uh, doing the competitions. I was watching at that time and uh, I'm glad I did. And I've even been thinking about taking a break, but I said, if he fucking wins again in March and makes Yokozuna, I would be so pissed at myself if this was the time I decided I wasn't doing this anymore. So I've got at least one more in me and then I might take a break because I'm busy. <laughs> oh my God. I know. Just I can imagine you, you know, with the charcoal, like, God damn it, turn up Fuji. Tired of your stupid face. It's so many Terra no Fujis. It's like four or five. I mean, yeah. and he's great. And now I bet I could draw him from memory. And I, the thing is, I think this is probably how all sumo fans are is we're super fickle. I was pissed at him when he was winning all the time. Um, <laughs> and then in the Hakuho Basho, I was rooting for him in the end. I wanted yeah. him to be yeah. Hakuho. And then now that he's gone, I just miss like the consistency and the, the presence of a proper Yokozuna. And I think he is a really tried and true Yokozuna. Not yeah. to say that he is like a, you know, gonna be legendary huge status, but I think that he fulfills his role perfectly when he's there. And so I am looking yeah. forward to his return. And I hope that he comes back 
really solid and gives us another good year or something of whipping ass. Agreed. Agreed. I'm sure he will. And he's just, you know, he's healing up from another surgery. I mean, look at what happened after the last time he had to, like, take some time to heal up from a surgery. He fucking climbed all the way up the ranks and became Yokozuna. So I'm sure we're going to see a lot more awesome stuff from him. I hope so. And, like, whenever he's gone, I'm going to miss him. (laughs) But I will say, I don't want him to win... What's he at? Eight? Is he at seven? Is he at seven titles? I think uh, I don't know. I was about to say, I think seven or eight, yeah. Math I think is seven. I don't want him to get to 11 because the sumo fandom treats Yusho as like Dragon Ball Z power levels. And <laughs> I think that if people tried to tell me that Terra no Fuji was Akebono level, I'd have an aneurysm because it's just. Oh my God. <laughs> Akibodo is his own beast and I, beast yes. literally. Yeah. He does not get enough credit. I don't think there's ever been a Rikishi that Akebono couldn't beat on the day that he's on because he is such a unique specimen in terms of sumo. I don't think anyone's had greater attacking power. He's not even my favorite. I'm just, this is just what I've observed. Yeah. yeah. I've only followed sumo for like since 20, the beginning of 2020. But in that time, I have watched like 85% of the viewable sumo on YouTube from throughout time. I just, I <laughs> oh, hell yeah. um, especially from 1970 on. And oh, yeah. I've never seen anybody who could do what Akebono did. And it's not even like a difficult thing to understand. He was six foot, eight inches tall and 500 pounds. Yeah. The amount of force <laughs> that he could generate. There were two people he ever fought who wouldn't just get fucking thrown if he hit him. And that was Musashimaru and Konishiki. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, even Takano Hana, who was amazing at just powering through people, like he had to be totally on his shit to deal with Akebono because it was just crazy. And I don't think, you know, Futabayama, Taiho, those guys are amazing. Yeah. They had no analog for this person. They never oh, fought yeah. anyone who remotely resembled what Akebono was. And I think, yeah, he did not accomplish what they did numerically. But if you threw Akebono in the ring with anybody from throughout time, he would have more than an outside chance at just wrecking their shit. That's oh, my hell yeah. Fuck yeah. No, I, Fuck I wholeheartedly yeah. agree. Seriously, he's just like a force of nature. And sometimes, and I, I know this is probably going to piss somebody off. Sometimes it looked like he wasn't even trying. Like he was just. <laughs> oh, <laughs> absolutely. I together. I ripped a bunch of uh, footage off of um, some live stream of old Eurosport uh, yeah. footage from 2000, where the English commentator guy named yeah. Sid Hoare, who I think is dead now, but. Um, and I put it together and it was Akebono's last U show, the 11th one. And the thing was, and I also did a video with Scott about this. So, cause I read the book and all this, but yeah. he returned to kind of the pushing and thrusting after a few years of sort of mixing in the belt here and there and doing kind of what Konishi would do in his sort of peak era where he would just like wrap people up and take them out. Cause he was so big, they couldn't do anything. Yeah. Um, he returned kind of what Matt a, does. <laughs> it's a strategy. It's a great strategy. Um, <laughs> And he returned to the pushing and thrusting. And that last you show, it's crazy. He is just knocking these. I mean, these are high ranking dudes. These are Muso. Yeah, these are Muso Yamakayo, Chio Taikai, you know, all these people. Dejima. I don't know if he actually fights Muso Yama. I don't remember. But and he's just I mean, this match is over in one and a half seconds every single time. Because when he hits you, you're fucked. (laughs) You're fucked. Like. There's no, it's a coin toss with Akebono. I mean, and that's how pushing and thrusting goes. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. Oshizumo gets so much shit in the yeah. online community, which drives me crazy as I a Takakei Show fan, a Musashimaru fan, an Akebono fan, a Koto Zakura fan. Like, 
just like I don't know. I don't think they understand. And I think you don't really understand until you start to do sumo. Because me and yeah. my brother mm-hmm. have just started doing sumo. Oh hell, hell yeah. yeah, dude! And I got fucking nodular fasciitis in my arm, and a doctor Ooh. told me I have to stop for a little while, which oh, no. oh damn. But, um, <laughs> It's because I was winning so much. Uh, <laughs> um, and oh, yeah. yeah, like you just, as soon as you try it, you realize, oh my God, like everything about this is so much more complicated than it looks and so much more difficult than it seems, you know? Yes. Uh, yeah, everyone everyone just makes it sound like all you have to do is just go, oh, you're just pushing and shoving, but you have to be accurate. You have to know where to push them. And uh, it sometimes it doesn't seem like it makes any sense, but like the lower, or even if you push the belt, if you push on the belt, it like actually pushes them back a little bit further. And I was like, whoa, but I, I want to stand them up. So I'm like, oh, well, I got to get the chest. So it's, it's so much going on. It's a little bit more complicated, but people like kind of react to you a, a little bit differently whenever your arms are swinging and you got this look like those Daesho-esque battle faces. Face. <laughs> yeah. And then you just start, yeah, you start going for the face and for the neck, people are like, oh, and they're easier to move whenever they're like that, you know? So, I mean, it, it comes into handy, but then people that are used to it, people that have experienced it more, they're like, oh, they just kind of brush it off, just grab the belt and just throw my ass out, you know? But <laughs> So you said that you just started doing sumo yourself. Um, how long have you been doing it? And do you plan on starting a Kansas sumo club? So... Short answer to that second part is that's the dream, and it's working pretty nice. well. Because what I have found about um, men in their middle to late 20s, such as myself, is that if you say, hey, you want to come try sumo? Most of them are like, "Yeah, hey, fuck it, why not? And that's that's all it takes. And then they do it once, and they're hooked. My friend Malik, we got him in a belt for the first time, and he was like, he got the the itch. He got the fever. The next <laughs> day, like, mm, I am sore as hell, but I got to get back in and do this again. And he did. We're filming all the matches. Um, so that we can look at them and study them. And my plan is to try and move things into the realm of something more official, like a club where we can advertise only after we stop looking embarrassingly bad. And (laughs) we're getting there slowly, but like if I'm still too nervous to send a clip to John Jacks, who is the man who I consulted on, like, hey, how do I build my dohyo? What do I need to know about this? Like I went through him for all my stuff. Oh, hell yeah. I still can't send him something without feeling a slight amount of shame that I'm not putting it out there yet. We'll be good when we debut. We've only been doing it since December, which is an insane thing if you've lived in Kansas because you know it's cold as shit here. Yeah. Um, we were doing sumo. Most of the times we've done sumo so far, it's been like 35 degrees. Ooh. Oh, it's horrible. Um, I'm keeping a record. Every time we do practice matches, I, I tally them into an Excel spreadsheet to try and see who's winning, mostly because me and my brother are competitive. Oh, nice. <laughs> To try and determine what Kimarite was used, if possible. Some of them are just whack as shit because, you know, we're we're amateurs and it's yeah, not amateurs in the stuff sense out. of like, yeah, yeah. We're, we're amateurs in the sense of like, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. You're noobs. Um, yeah. yeah, noobs, huge noobs. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so it, it was, it was going great. And then I did something to my arm and it hurt like crazy and I had Ooh. no strength in it for a while. And I don't go to the doctor because the last time I did, they talked to me for five minutes, told me what I already knew and charged me $200. Oh. So, um, I do, however. Story of my life. <laughs> yeah. I do, however, uh, run into people I know who are or were doctors in public places sometimes. And that's when I get my medical advice. (laughs) My friend's dad, who is a retired doctor at an art show last weekend. And I was like, hey, real quick in the middle of this gallery, do you want to take a look at this arm? And he was like, yeah, do this, do this, do that. Okay, it's probably this. 
don't do you sumo can- for six months. And I was like, I can't give you six months. I just, <laughs> you know you can only do that for certain things, though, because if it's like, hey, check out this boil on my ass in the middle of the <laughs> art gallery, that's not really going to work out. And my reputation in this town, I don't think those people would have been surprised. It's like, what the fuck is going on? It's Noah. He's just... <laughs> I love that. I love that you have a reputation in a Kansan town. (laughs) For better or worse. (laughs) I used to live in Ark City for like, it was uh, 1996 that I lived there for just for like a year and a half. But no, I mean, I I got to experience Kansas. It was (laughs) an experience. (laughs) We have our ups and our downs. Yeah. uh, Actually, not literally. It's all flat. There's no up. Yeah. So have you thought of uh, names for your club when you do finally debut? Any Uh, thoughts on that yet? Some. I feel like whatever I say is going to sound cheesy, but, you know, you just kind of have to like, if you you get behind it, it'll, I think uh, maybe something like, like Himawari Sumobea, which would be um, Sunflower. I think that's the Japanese. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's like, oh, that's fitting. It sounds good, you know, as a word. I don't know. I like the. I think about the the quality of sounds um, yeah. of words a lot. Yeah, and I, I think that sounds nice. It sounds like it could potentially be a legitimate thing. That's th- that does sound really cool though, and it kind of does just roll off the tongue. What was it like? Himawari. Himawari. Yeah. yeah. And now uh, that I say it, I get nervous that I I have that word wrong, and I've just said like some you know like pork dish. So oh no, I'm yeah. going to that to make one hundred. Yeah, okay, I'm right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! You got to say it the way that the Google Translate robot says it. Okay. <laughs> and we got Oscar Dolan from New York Sumo Club. Oh yeah, will, he speaks Japanese. Yeah, he will. Oh. He he has not only corrected me, but he's he will make fun of how I say some stuff. Like I know I have a bad like Oki Texas accent. It's just terrible. But he's because like, we were talking about the Aki Basho, and he spelled it like oh. Oh, the O C K E Y. Oh, the Akibasho. They're like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, we could make it worse. We could be like, all right, all right uh, yeah, man. Watching Terry no food. <laughs> <laughs> he just—he's whipping ass, man. I just love that motherfucker. He's amazing. <laughs> I tell you what, man, that Hokuto Fuji, man, he just butts you like. <laughs> Or like when we when we very first started uh, watching sumo, instead of Token Ocean, we called him Token Ocean, like yeah. <laughs> like Token on a joint or something or in the middle ocean. of the ocean. Yeah, and I've yeah. heard other people call him that since then too. <laughs> I have wanted to, and I've talked to Scott about it. If I could put it out through World of Sumo, just because he actually has a platform, I don't make any like content along those lines really. But I've talked to Scott about maybe doing a teach a, a short video that teaches Japanese pronunciation through Shikona. So oh, Rikishi yes. names. Yeah, I've been actually, or we've been wanting to do a, um, a sumo terms definition episode for a while. And it was my idea to turn it into a game show where we compete against one another. <laughs> um, and that's something we've kind of had to put on the back burner just because, you know, I've had a lot of like health issues lately. We've had other stuff going on, but we need to start working on that again. Yeah, damn we're, it. We're gonna Cause that's that. going to be fun. That would be fun. My, my dream is to like, like 
like do it maybe like uh, every so often and then just like get like random people from the sumo world to compete against each other. I want to get like... sumo kaboom on oh, to compete against them. us. Oh, I yes. love them so much. <laughs> and that's, they're actually the reason I wanted to make the video in the first place. And oh, I thought, oh, yeah. It's part of their charm that they butcher so many different, you know, pretty it's, oh. it's, it's, it's like that. It's I like us it. too. It's we do too. Their energy, it's such a different energy than from most of the sumo podcasts because they, you know, they take the piss out of everything. Yes. Everything's lighthearted. They do it because they love it. And there's that like sexual undertone about yeah. it. Like, they're like the, they're the, the sumo vodka ants of like. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. And, yes. and I, I love that about them. They they did, uh, what was it? Um, was it? No, it was Lori. Lori did a commentary at the Cowboy Cup uh, whenever we had that tournament, like on the live stream. And she was there with Bruce from Tachi Eye Blog. And it was hilarious because she just kind of looks up. She goes, I want to talk about men's butts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and Bruce, Bruce was like, "They're like, Arr. I'm, I'm not a subject matter expert." <laughs> it was that, so funny. Though. That's great. I, I just love them so much. They're just so fucking fantastic. They're the reason that I wanted to do like sumo podcasting, just mm-hmm. because they're they're so damn inspiring. Yeah, no, they're they're just awesome, and they're sweet ladies too. They live in the same area that we do. We run into them all the time at different events and stuff. Yeah, Texas people have such a. I mean, it's not quite a monopoly, but it feels that way. <laughs> all the amateur clubs I think I follow um, from America on social media are from Texas. Uh, at least, I guess, two of the big major sumo podcasts are from Texas. And I mean, I know they've got this and that over here and there, but like Texas is where it's at. And it's not. The I Texas always think Texas yeah. isn't that far from Kansas. And then I remember like you can drive a whole Kansas through Texas and you're still, like, <laughs> Halfway through Texas, I'm like fucking a. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you had mentioned um, John Jacks earlier, and you know, getting his uh, input on what you've been doing with your sumo. I did want to mention another person that's kind of in the area um, over in Colorado. Actually, is Kyle Ferreter, known as the Sumo Nomad. So he actually likes to travel for his sumo. I mean, maybe if you get talking Ooh. to him, he'll come out and show you some stuff. He's actually really fucking good. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's brutal. Um, but of cool. course, you could come down to Texas, too, and Hell hang yeah. out with the Dallas Sumo Club and, um, you know, Shogeki and Houston, Dark Circle, Dark Circle Mighty, Mighty Eagle. Eagle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it would be super fun. So, oh, uh, Robert Foymoyono and uh, Brandon Alexander live in Casimo. Yes, Kansas okay. City. Kansas City. Was um, it Robert Fumayono? Um, he was on the Team USA for yeah. the World Games. Yeah. Dude, definitely reach out to him because yeah, I'm sure Samoan he can give you some pointers. Okay, I yeah. can spell Robert. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> what is he on the social meds? Oh, the Samoan Bulldozer. Samoan, bo- Samoan bulldozer. bulldozer, yes. And then Brandon Alexander is Quake Viking. That guy's cool. Oh, yeah, that guy's They're awesome. They're both cool. They're really fucking cool. Awesome. Well, that's exciting. I get up to Kansas City pretty often. I got a lot of family and friends up there um, nice. and could totally road trip with my brother. That's way easier to justify than trying to trek across fucking Texas. 
Uh, <laughs> not that you shouldn't still come to Texas. I know. I'm sure at this point, like the trajectory of my life is leading me there for at least a, a visit. And I know my brother is already kind of like itching to, because my brother's, he's sort of turned into a big gym junkie. And neither one of our builds are super like traditional sumo. I mean, he's, I'd say six feet tall and probably like 185 and it's like all muscle. And I'm 6'3 and like 210 and it's not all muscle. Um, (laughs) You know, so we're just kind of a different approach and we mostly end up fighting each other. We've got a few guys on rotation, but they're far less consistently able to do it than him and me. Um, Mm -hmm. So he just wants more practice with more opponents and he wants to fight people with different styles and he's developing his own style. Um, The thing is, he's not a huge sumo fan. Like he's doing this because I was like, Max, you like physical exercise. You like competitiveness. You like fighting me and you have since we were children. So why don't we do this in a form that I think would be fun as fuck. And of course it is. He loves it. But he's, he's like asking me, you know, like, Oh, give me some Rikishi to study that I think I could learn from. And the thing is he, when you only know so many names in sumo, one of the names you know is Chiono Fuji. Mm. When you only yes. know so many lightweight Rikishi, you want yourself to be Chiono Fuji. And mm-hmm. what I want Max to understand is not that he couldn't theoretically one day fight like Chiono Fuji, but that Chiono Fuji is such an anomalous figure in sumo for so many reasons that I think he should start somewhere that is more um, in line with his actual strength level because he's not, you know, he's not fucking throwing a Mito Izumi-sized man around the <laughs> He can't do that. He's having a hard time moving me just because I'm tall and I watch a lot of Wajima. And I'm telling him to watch a lot of Wajima, to watch a lot of Wakishimazu, Mutsu Arashi, Masuiyama. These dudes from 70s and 80s that did yeah. not weigh anything because it was really common back then, but yeah. had so much technique. Since I became a fan of sumo, I've been trying to analyze, like, what is it that in the era that Hakuho really shined made him so excellent? And I think it's because Hakuho combined a really, really big comparative, like a really modern sumo frame. He's not overweight. You know, he's he's extremely, like, well proportioned, but he's like yeah. six, five, four. He's one yeah. of the guys in the top division, a solid and consistent, like, 350 pounds, hugely strong. And yet he fights kind of like he were like a Wakanohana the third. Like he can use the legs and the technique and all that crazy, just like he studied it so much that when you you combine the way that literally everybody fought in the 70s with a 2000 sized dude, and you get somebody who is just like kind of at another level than all the people that were around him. That's what I think it was. Maybe that's an oversimplification. I don't know. But um uh, I, I don't know how I got sidetracked. No, no, you're good, you're good. <laughs> I want my brother to focus okay. on people who did more with less instead of people who did the most with a, a lot, which Chiyono Fuji may have been lightweight, but he was inconceivably strong, inconceivably fast. I mean, he was a holdover from that 70s shit because people, yeah, yeah. he was older. So he had all that tiny, like, you know, tiny frame, Lots of technique. Got to know what I'm doing to be able to win, period, into the 70s yeah. until he finally bulked up and then became just a monster in the 80s. And I want my brother to dial it back. But, you know, we'll see. He's doing well. <laughs> yeah. There are Rikishi in Makuuchi now that you could even point to. Like, uh, Midori Fuji is one of my favorites as far as the lightweight. Oh, of man. course, everybody loves Inho, but um, yeah. he's been back down in Jurio for a while. And that's that's not a bad example either. I mean, most people don't even make it to Jurio. So, right. what do you think? Oh man! And back whenever he was around, old Ishiura, and I don't know what Ishiura, the hell. Ishiura, yeah. I don't know what the hell's going on with Teretsuyoshi, but like even in his like 
he used to be a lot meaner and just kind of like he would hinka and just fucking he was a little <laughs> bit underhanded but like he was he was strong and he was he was winning but i don't know what his deal is now but yeah but yeah ishiura for sure like he was you know a smaller dude a muscly dude shit even koto Eko, you know he's not like yeah. not the highest you yeah. know but still he's strong and he will muscle the fuck out of somebody yeah, you know koto Eko isn't super tricksy i think there's sort yeah. of a few broad categories you could put rikishi in and there are like, you know, there are the tricksters. There are the people who kind of fight like a tree, like Ichi no Joe. Yeah. And there are the, the strongmen, like Asanoyama Takara Fuji was, um, Terano Fuji. But I feel like Koto Eko kind of, he just is like a really kind of a fundamentals guy. I mean, he wants to yeah. get on you and he wants to drive with his legs and like Gaburi Yori you out, which there's a history of that at Sarogatake Stable, which is Koto yeah. Shogiku Stable, who's like the poster child these days. But back in the 80s, there was Koto Kaze, who's one of my favorites from the 80s, who was like Koto Shogiku, but with even stronger legs and I think a little more height on him. If I, I'm not sure about that, but I, I, he certainly looks that way. And he was, I did the numbers on this a while back. I looked at when everybody was bitching about the Ozeki standard of like 10 wins per tournament. Oh, yeah. I back, and I looked at all the Ozeki who never made Yokozuna going back until 1970. And I wanted to see how often any of them actually met the Ozeki standard. And I made yeah. a spreadsheet. Um, but Kotokaze was the most consistent Ozeki who never made Yokozuna by that metric. With a Ozeki standard rate of 59.10%. So 59.10% of the tournaments he was in Ozeki, he got 10 or more wins. More than half the time. The vast majority did not do even half the time. I think the average was, um, let's see, 31%. Oh, shit. The average Ozeki I feel like I've seen these statistics. I feel like I've seen these statistics before. Did you ever put this online? Oh, yeah. It was doing the Okay, rounds yeah. I have seen that before. So you were the one that made that. <laughs> yeah, she, was, she was very indignant one day at lunch, you know, because like we work from home. So at lunch, she was like, did you see that statistic? That was, that was and she like, <laughs> well, because everybody was always picking on my goth boyfriend, Shodai, for him. <laughs> well, you're not going to like this because... <laughs> Since Shodai and Mitakeyumi have both closed the book on their yeah, um, Ozeki yeah. careers, uh, Mitakeyumi is sitting well under average at 25% of the time. So Ooh. in his four, count them, four tournaments at Ozeki, he got double digits once. Shodai had 13 at Ozeki and he got double digits um, twice. So that's 15.38%, which puts him not in the lowest echelon. There are people who never got double digits at Ozeki. All I need to hear is he's not the worst. That's all I need to hear. (laughs) The worst actually is arguably the the least successful Ozeki of the last 50 years. I think it's kind of a tie um, between Masuiyama, who was a super lightweight, like guy who loved to trip, super fun matches to watch, but he made Ozeki kind of later on and then it just didn't last. He was only Ozeki for seven tournaments. And then the other probably least successful Ozeki, and people are going to fucking flame me for this, (laughs) Tochi Noshin. Yeah, because he he got hurt. Yeah, I mean, it's just how it went. He was Ozeki for seven tournaments. He got double digits in none of them. He got Makekoshi five times. And like, it, it wasn't his fault. I mean, it just, it got exacerbated, but people... You know, Tochi Notion fans are are real ride or dies, and they talk about him yes. like, oh, he could have been a Yokozuna. And, like, the numbers just do not support that notion at all. Yeah. yeah. Everybody, 
I, I love Uncle loves, Toach, but yeah, what everybody he did was loves amazing. Toach, but, but, yeah, but that yeah. he wasn't he wasn't going there, you know. I yeah. Know. Well, one of the big reasons we did want to have you on is specifically for your sumo art. So I think we should definitely talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So like your little uh little uh, what do you call it? your digital dudes? Wait, yeah. <laughs> digital yeah. dudes. Yeah, I was I was calling them. I was like, are they are they chibi ricochet? Are they are they digital dudes? It's just kind of what what came out. So. I'll take it. I've seen people challenge people. Some people are like chibi purists. Like like something is not a chibi unless it is like a very specific style of of big headed whatever. Like it's a yeah. cartoon to people is not a chibi. I don't know. I don't give a shit. And this is a yeah. someone who ran a DeviantArt account for like seven years as a oh, middle schooler God. through high schooler. That oh, it exclusively drew chibis of characters from Naruto, One Piece, Bleach, etc. And it was like kind of popular. It's still up. But if you search like certain key characters from one of those shows plus chibi on Google Images, some of my old middle school artwork is among the first results. Oh, shit. oh wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you were on I, the internet. I was on DeviantArt a long, long time ago. I think and I still have a DeviantArt. That place is just such a cesspit that I just oh, yeah. had to give it up. Oh, yeah. I, you know what's okay, I'm gonna let you guys in on a secret. Oh, like no. that I, I think I think I took them all down. I can't remember, but I started a deviant art to put up my like little um because I did like adult coloring. I would get black and white pictures and I would use MS paint at work to like color I've them like pixel by this. pixel. I've seen you do this. Yeah, and so I was gonna take all of my like little pixel Crayola drawings, you know, and just put them on my deviant. But look, I color at work. And then like I was like, I should probably take these down before someone just like rips me apart for coloring Aww. with MS Paint. <laughs> I still have them though. And but I wouldn't just color. I would take like um I had like these uh screenshots of like an NES emulator. So I would take like the sprites and like use MS Paint to clean up around them and then like put them in just like weird situations or like I don't know, get pictures off the internet and there's like Samus and Mega Man, you know, just oh. I would just draw pictures of people's Dungeons and Dragons characters and put them I on still there. Do that. <laughs> Hell yeah. Fuck yeah, oh, dude. I was doing that literally right before this call started. Here. Really? Oh, hell yeah, dude. You are our people. I'm oh my god. You. I'm in a campaign with my family, and my character, uh, his name is Pogliacci, but it's spelled P A W G, all caps, oh. which oh is my sort god. of a foul uh, acronym. If you know, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a clown, but there's sort of a. It's like a. There's we're essentially entering season two right now. So there's been a time skip. The last major arc wrapped up. The next session, which should be on Sunday, will be the start of season two. And I thought it would be funny because he I'm just fucking around with D&D rules and my dad mostly lets it slide. So I'm like, he's his race is clown. He's not a human. <laughs> he was a human. He was turned into a clown. And what that means oh, is wow. very like it's a developing concept. So <laughs> I'm going to have him molt out of his old like look at the beginning of season two, just like crack out of his own oh back. Oh my God. And so I've made a redesign and uh, I'll show you the first one. This again, this probably doesn't really go great for an audio medium, but you know, it is what it is. So this is what Pagliacci originally looked like. You could see him on my Instagram. Yeah. He's a Aww. colorful clown. He's got a gun. Yeah. It's cool. Um, But he got a, a magical knife. This is so not what people listen to the show for. He got a magical <laughs> knife. Um, at the You'd end of the last season <laughs> that like is like fire imbued and it makes you go a little crazy the longer you hold it. Mm. And so we left off mm. with my character just like looking at this knife like Smeagol like mm, you know? oh, no. <laughs> so we're going to come back and he's like fully fire type now 
total redesign. Oh, that's bad. Wow. Round as hell. So I'm oh, love man. That. Throw a mawashi on that guy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> if I could no, dress like that, I would. As far as the name, like, I mean, don't even worry about that because I think the last uh, D&D character I had, his name was Pingus Balls Deep. <laughs> <laughs> We are meant to be friends. Yeah. <laughs> he was like a, he was a, a Zeph Scion thrall herd or something. And he was like really gay. And I mean, this was a long time ago. So it was probably very problematic. No, it, anyway, enough about uh, our stupid nerdy stuff. We don't have to. I was about to say, what version are you playing? Are you playing fifth edition or Oh, no, of course we were p- playing 3.5. It's the best edition. I mean, besides um, uh, the... Uh, I only ever played second edition and then... Pathfinder, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I played anyway. Pathfinder, yeah. yeah. We had a good campaign. Anyway, right. I no, wonder no, what the, the Venn diagram is of like sumo enthusiast and like fucking tabletop gaming I was, no, I was about to say is like... In the US, it's probably just a circle. There, yeah, there are a lot, yeah. Like most, most everybody that I've interviewed so far, or that we've interviewed so far, I've I've been like some sort of tabletop gamer, some sort of gamer, like in some some way or fashion. And they've all been weebs. Yeah, yeah. Well, sure. there's, there's a little <laughs> bit of weeb in, in every American sumo wrestling, except yeah. for the ones like I mean, there are some that are like purely just like I wouldn't say like a jock, but you know, like they're in it for like the sport as like they were introduced to the sport without anything really kind of. As an intermediary. It is kind of a sport that nerds can do. Yeah, it is definitely. uh, (laughs) In the U.S., I think it's... um, it does have a greater appeal to people, I guess, who are more outsider types of personalities, more on the well, fringes. Not your typical, like, I, MMA jock guy, but... Yeah. Uh, I think in a weird way, I mean, you would think it would be the polar opposite of this because it is, like, the one sport that requires you to be almost entirely naked. But I yeah. think it is kind <laughs> of a sport for... It has an appeal to introverts. Because it's, number one, it's very... Um, I mean, it's obviously, it's not a team sport. You work you know, by yourself, you compete by yourself, but also it doesn't have, it, in fact, it frowns upon all that bravado and all of that, yes. you know, like, like showmanship that goes into so many American sports. I don't follow any other American, any, any American sports. I don't follow any other sports at all. And um, a lot of it is because just like the culture, I don't, I don't jive with it's, this is not a criticism. It just, it isn't me, you know, yeah. like that, that kind of like, fuck yeah, we hate those bastards. Like the enemy <laughs> team is the worst. Um, and yeah. so sumo is great because, you know, you win, you keep a stone cold face, you walk to the other side of the ring, you bow and that's it. I mean, ideally. And yeah. I, you know, that's one of the many, many, many. Every things. once in a while you do a backflip in front of the whole world, but. Uh... Right. I, <laughs> over, over here, apparently, well, that wasn't, that wasn't even here. That was a, wasn't that an Egyptian? Is that what happened? Yeah, but it was in Alabama. Oh, That's sure. where they had the world yeah, games. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you go to Alabama, you should expect a fucking bucket. <laughs> <laughs> It's in the water over there. <laughs> Roll Tide. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I know what I know what you're talking about. There is that kind of um, like overly competitive bravado where it like it kind of consumes people's whole identities sometimes, and that can be definitely a, a turnoff. And- That's part of the reason why I'm so into sumo as well, is because it is just 
especially when you get into like the the amateur sumo scene everybody is just so fucking nice and polite and um like always just helping each other out you know it's yes it's supportive. because they want their opponents to be better at sumo so that they can then fight them and get better themselves but right. yeah, yeah. It, and everybody just is so fucking rad you know i mean that, that's what i was just it's like you you meet these people like like kyle Ferder, she was talking about earlier yeah. like kyle will seriously like coach you on how to is like no you get more power if you touch the eye like this he's like oh you need to protect your neck so make sure you do neck exercises like this and because he reached out to you out of nowhere and was like hey here's some pointers right yeah he was just like yeah dude protect your neck <laughs> i end up doing a head tachi eye at least like twice per session and every without fail i have a sore neck for the next two days yeah and the head tachi eye is awesome like I mean, there's just, I don't think my brother's like ready for it. Especially, he doesn't expect it because I'm a lot taller than him. And so to get in that low and stay like, and then you can drive with your head, which is yeah. great. Mm -hmm. But I can't do it without fucking up my neck. And I'd love to know how to not fuck up my neck. Because then what? I'm driving and I'm like, I gotta check my blind spot. Oh. It hurts. You have to make sure that you hit with uh, both your head and both of your hands at the same time. And it's like you got to hit with like your hairline. Mm -hmm. Like make sure yeah, your hairline like right is here. like hits the xiphoid process. Yeah. And then like you start like low. Ooh. And then, oh, sorry. And then you like, you know, go diagonally like up diagonally like into up, them. Yeah. And then like hands on the like you want to cup the nipples and then like forehead, the xiphoid or the hairline in the xiphoid process and just like push up. It is more complicated than it looks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always is. But anyway, uh, back to the art. <laughs> <laughs> and not the D&D art, the sumo art. But how how did you first get into... Um, shit, how did you first get into art? I mean, well, what makes someone an artist who lives in the middle of Kansas? Um, you do it as a kid and your parents tell you you're good at it. And then you go to see Lord of the Rings when you're five and you want to live there, but you can't like afford the toys because you don't have any money and neither do your, your folks. And so you just make your own toys by drawing the characters and you do that all the time forever, which makes you a little better at it, like better than your friends. And then your friends tell you you're good at it, which makes you want to do it more. And so you just do it more forever and then you get good. That's what it's about. <laughs> and as an art teacher, I can say this, like my input is going to give people, it gives kids the experience of all these different types of things. And yes, they do learn here and there, but ultimately the kids who are going to go on to become really ahead of the curve by high school are the ones who want to keep doing it when they go home. So mm -hmm. kind of my goal is to see if I can't get kids to want to keep doing it when they go home. Cause that's the only reason I was, it was all I did. I mean, my brother is older than me. He would like we would play video games together, but if it was single player, he would hog that shit. So he was taking a bad. <laughs> we didn't have that many TVs in the house, you know? And so, like, you find other things to do. And, yes, we could go outside and put rocks on the railroad tracks and wait for the train to go by and crush it into dust. <laughs> but other than that, I would take old recycled pieces of paper that my dad, like, they had, like, debate cards because he was a debate coach and shit on him on the back and then we would flip them over and i'd draw on the other side i still have shitty drawings of like bilbo baggins from when i was six years old Aww. on the backs of debate cards like weird <laughs> articles about abortion and stuff it's just, <laughs> these are my artifacts um and so yeah i just it's the only thing i it's the thing in the world i most like to do and it always has been is drawing specifically but then art more broadly technically i'm a painter um because i think that was my emphasis in college but i haven't made a oil painting since I started teaching because it's just it's a slog 
I think I saw, didn't you do like a Takakesho kind of caricature painting? Yes, but that's, like a his... digi- that's a digital painting, which is oh, much less that looks like an oil painting, kind of. It, well, that's the point. Um, it's yeah. still, <laughs> people, I, I got some shit for one of my digital um, portraits by an old lady on Facebook because she thought that, she thought that digital art meant, what's weird is this was before the AI art thing really took off, which is, yeah. cool, by the way, if you're listening and you like AI art, uh, boo. But, uh, <laughs> this was before that took off. And yet that was sort of what her conception was. She thought that I just took a picture of Takakesho and ran it through a filter and it turned it into a thing. Like, no, you take an iPad and you take a digital a stylus that looks like a yeah. pencil and you draw it with a tool that looks like a pencil and then you put all the colors where they need to be and then you render the shit out of them slowly exactly the same process in essence as what you would do with physical media it's just it is the added layer of convenience of being on a screen so you don't have to mix colors and you can zoom in and work on smaller areas at a time which makes it less of a slog but you know if you don't know how to I know a lot of talented artists. I don't know a lot of people personally who I think could make that Takakesho portrait with an iPad. Like it still requires a lot of fundamental ability and yeah. understanding of painting processes specifically to be yeah. able to do something like that, which is something a lot of people just don't understand about digital art. Digital art is legit. I fought it for a long time just because when I grew up, the only tablets that were accessible, and you guys probably know this very well, were like the Wacom ones. The Wacom tablet here, and you have yeah. to look at the computer. You, so you're drawing down. I here, hate those things. It was such a disorienting thing. The, the one time I got to try it at like a friend's house as a, as a kid, and I was like, "This is awful. I'm gonna just keep drawing on paper forever." And I did for a really, really long time. And then when I was 23, maybe it was a few years ago, my parents were very kind. They saw that I had been using my friend Maddie's tablet to make cartoons, which I was starting to sell at Comic Cons. And they got me an iPad for my birthday and they had it inscribed in the back. It says uh, eternally grateful to my parents because they're pieces of shit. But I, love them. <laughs> um, I do love them and I thank them for this. It's definitely paid for itself. And so I've been kind of on a digital thing more since I started teaching because you just. Here's the thing. I can't start a painting like a real painting and then walk away from it until it is at a stage where it at least like if if someone broke into my house okay like home invasion armed robbery and they happen to walk through my little office and see the painting if they saw it and went what the fuck is he what is that that would be the worst thing possible so i have to like spend six hours on it to make sure that if that armed robber does come in and he walks by the painting he goes Nice. Yeah. All right, shit. And then he shoots me in the head and he's just doing <laughs> And then the value of the painting instantly increases by exactly. sixfold. And, yeah. But the thing is, to get it to that stage, it takes like six hours. And when you get off work at, you know, four o'clock and then you cook dinner and you need to be asleep by 10 or else you're going to feel like a zombie the next day because them kids are going to eat you alive. Um, <laughs> I don't want to spend my entire evening working on a painting ever. And I, I mean... And some people do because they love painting and I am good at painting. So people think I should love painting. I don't really love painting that much. It's okay. And I like, I like being done with the painting. I like having a painting that I made. I don't like making a painting. I don't like painting. It sucks. Like it's not for me. Drawing is easy. Drawing is relaxing. You can turn your brain off. Um, it's, it's fun. I definitely it's, draw way more than I paint. Yes. Oh yeah. I completely get it. Yes. <laughs> and drawing on an iPad. Well, I don't love starting a drawing on an iPad cause it still feels weird. Like it's kind of like having like a, I don't know, having a couple fingers tied behind my back or something. Like it's just, mm-hmm. but still 
after the drawing part is done, nothing is better than coloring on an iPad. You just drop colors in, you know, shading on an iPad, you put on clipping masks. So the shading only goes on the color that you want it to go on, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's awesome. Like I can crank out cartoons left and right, which is just all I've been doing lately. I feel like I'm at, I'm, I'm at a, a stage where I did all my serious shit. I did all my hard work. And now I'm I'm an old chunk of coal. <laughs> and I just wanna, I just wanna ha- make stuff that makes me laugh. When I drew that D and D character, that round ass D and D, I did yeah. this yesterday at parent teacher conferences because nobody <laughs> parent teacher, but they make you sit there for twelve hours. And as soon as I finished it, I looked at it and I just bust out laughing. Like, <laughs> amazing! I That's have awesome. done it again. Like I'm just, you know, I'm finally starting to get to a point where I can make stuff that I'm like, this is a good addition to the world. Like I did a talk yeah. and show. A while back, a tiny Takakesho cartoon where he's at the Tachi Eye and it says Tachi Eye. You can buy it on a short, by the way, people. Redbubble, they take all my money. I get that, like. <laughs> we fine. have a Redbubble shop too. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> totally passive income, and it means mm-hmm. that my art is getting its way out to people all around the world, which is cool. So I leave it up and I, I do like it. I mean, it's like, oh, you sold something to Germany today. I'm like, cool. Samvanova in Germany has fun of my t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nice. (laughs) Oh, my God. So you teach art to elementary school kids. Do they know about your passion for sumo? I have a picture of Musashi Maru on my desk. Oh, hell yes. I don't have a wife and kids. And and somebody gave me a picture frame at the beginning of the year, like, here's for your wife and kids. I'm like, you know, I don't have a wife and kids, Carrie. (laughs) So... I just put Musashi Maru in and I printed out this picture of him smiling and he's he's not like nude. It's just his head and he's got a kimono on and, yeah. and he's Aww. smiling. He looks awesome. The number one question I get from kids is, uh, the first one is, is that your dad? <laughs> <laughs> Which is hilarious because if anyone, it, now you have to do video because if they can see me, <laughs> Musashi Maru is not my dad. I wish he was, but he's not. And then oh the other one is just, oh, do you know that guy? And I'm like, no, I don't know that guy, but he's awesome. Let me tell you about him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's <not> your dad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I did have a couple of questions related to, uh, like, with your art, because I did see like some like superheroes and like some manga characters, like the like uh, I saw like Deku and stuff, you know. And speaking of subjects other than sumo that involve, <laughs> you know, drawing drawing pictures of uh, ridiculous characters. Uh... So, <laughs> so do you like do you read manga? Do you read comics? Is that like you know something that you're all about? Yeah, um, I so I grew up reading manga. Um, but only like a couple. And I, this was back in the day where you had to go to like CD websites. Oh, yeah. manga. And I crashed at least one laptop of my parents with viruses because I would go to like, like manga panda or manga stream. These are all yeah. the websites now. And they would just, you know, I mean, they'd eat you alive. And I, I was, you know, a teenager. All I want to do is read Naruto every week and <laughs> bleach. And that was what I did. And, uh, um, so I've done that forever. Started watching the shows as a kid, whatever was on. Probably Dragon Ball Z was the first one I ever saw because it was on a long time ago at this point. <laughs> and um, I now I got into American comics um, like weirdly after I got into Japanese cartoons and comic books. I mean, you know, everybody grows up familiar with this and that, and like everybody likes Batman the animated series. If you're already, oh yeah, well, well, hell yeah, but um. Oh, yeah. I didn't like read American comics until I was in college. And it was just because I, I don't know. 
so as a as somebody who as a teenager spent most of their time doing fan art for me like the fan art had to look exactly like the style and i think that's because i read so much manga and manga is written by a, a single manga story is written by one artist and that artist usually also draws for the story. And so it, it is the same all the time because they're the only person interpreting that character. It's their characters. American comic books are not that way at all. But yeah. because I grew up reading manga, I was like really obsessed with the idea that if I'm going to draw fan art, it has to look exactly like the way the characters are drawn because that's how they're supposed to look. And I guess I got kind of, I think I got kind of tired of that. And so I was still in like a fan arty mode, but I didn't want to keep constraining myself to that idea because it was stressful and you could always find something to nitpick at so i got into american comics where every different issue was written by or drawn by somebody else and um started finding out that there were some really amazing artists that worked in american comics that i could definitely learn a lot from um and uh yeah i, I just took off from there mostly marvel and and i would buy the book based on the artist more than by the author so like how up to date i am on any particular series just depends on how long they kept the artist i liked because once they move out of that i'm like comic books are so expensive and yeah. there are so many you could be keeping up with that if it's not something i want to be able to go back and look at later because that's really why i do it is to look at the pictures i mean yeah. it's art um yeah. then i'm not gonna follow it so i have my favorite american comic artists for sure and i've yeah i, I do those cartoons to sell at comic conventions that I was on this shit since I was a kid where I realized there was something about having a ton of copies of what is essentially the same drawing, but like reskinned, right? So this has become hot shit these days with like pop vinyls or in Japan with like Nendroids, which have been around for a while. But um, I was doing this from the time I was, you know, in like Catholic grade school. So like third grade with Naruto chibis, even before the DeviantArt, I have some of these older, like first gen ones where I would trace over the previous one that I drew so that the new one would be the exact same size and proportion and they would look essentially identical. They would just have the the other characters like design. Yeah. And um, I would make tons of them just because I felt like I was collecting something. Again, when you don't have any money to actually collect something, you make your own collection. Yeah. And I carried that in through the DeviantArt where if I were to send you that, you'd see exactly what I mean because all those chibis, again, they're the same proportion. They're all the same pose, but they're the different characters. And then into these cartoons now, which is like, well, I've been liberated by American comic books. I can draw this shit in whatever style I want to. Let's figure out what I want that to be. And that's an ongoing process. Like my cartoons that I've been drawing lately have been a lot more. They've clearly separated themselves from what you'll see those ones with like the solid color background that are all the same face and all the same sort of stance and size. Yeah. Those are made for comic cons, which I go to on occasion. Not so much anymore. There was like a peak for me where I was doing several a year. Um, but again, I'm just too busy. So now I do like one or two a year. But I go and they always sell what like people, they just see it and they go, oh, that's adorable. I've not quite seen that style before. And they're all the same. So I want to get four or I want to get five or I was here last year and I got a few. Now I got to get a few more to add to the wall just because it feeds into that pop vinyl mentality, whatever yeah. It is, yeah. that makes people want to get them. The, um, and the you can Pokemon. tell Pokemon <laughs> got to oh, yeah. catch them all. <laughs> Literally. And you can tell that I've dialed back a lot because if you go back and you see like the last couple um, years, all of my new cartoons in those series are uploaded within the period of about two weeks before the one con I do in the summer. So I won't do any all year long. And then two weeks before the con, I'll do like 30. And then it'll be 30 new ones just because wow. I know I need new characters to sell. And it's not that I don't still enjoy it, but like there was definitely a point where I was doing it because it was fun and funny to me. I, it was like, it's like castration is what it is. <laughs> 
you take this super serious character like the Incredible Hulk, and then you make him look so impotent and soft and stupid. <laughs> and that's the appeal, I think, of that style. But even I am a little bit burnt out on it. It's not to say I won't do more. It's just I now pretty much only do them when I've got a money-making opportunity coming up. Or if I'm just really like vibing on a character from something and I want to see them in that way. But no, I'm yeah. yeah. So you said that you uh, collect comic books based on like your favorite artists, you know, rather than just the the titles themselves. So who would be like a few of your favorite like American comic artists? My number one favorite American comic artist is um, a guy named Esad Ribic. He is a Croatian artist. He's kind of like a disciple of Frank Frazetta, who maybe, you know, you know, the badass like Viking shit. But he obviously he does it within the context of pretty much exclusively Marvel comics. I have always admired people who have a a strong knack for drawing, like, with a level of realism, however, with no photo reference, you know, people who can just sit down and illustrate, and it's anatomically correct, the poses are dynamic, and they're interesting, and they're not looking at any pictures, they just know, they just have such a strong memory bank of how things look from every which way. The master of this is an artist who died um, last year, he was a Korean guy named Kim Jung-gi. And he worked in comics uh, here and there, but he just sort of branched off into such a big personal brand that he didn't have to do a lot of that work anymore. And he was just renowned, like internationally renowned for being able to draw the craziest, like five point perspective, like whack as hell, extremely involved, hyper detailed pen illustrations with pen from the jump. Just ink, no takesies, backsies. Every line is exactly what I wanted it to be. And it turns out perfect. To me, that's like the ultimate artistic superpower. Yeah. Um, And I do drawings like that on occasion where that is what I'm trying to do. There are some of them on my Instagram. If you ever see something that's like line art only and it's serious and it's surrealist, that is along those lines where I'm just trying to make it so that every line I make from the beginning is the right one. And kind of practicing my chops. I think those are the most impressive of the things that I do, which people maybe who don't know a lot about art wouldn't uh, assume. They would no, see it, the charcoal portraits and they would like go, oh, he's hard. drawing from a photo. But yeah. more, I know lots of people who could draw from photos. I don't know as many people who can work with the figure and work with things off the top of their head to, in the way that I do and as well as I do. And I sound like I'm bragging, but fuck it. No, I'm no. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I love Esed Ribic. I like uh, Leonel Yu a lot. I like Jerome Pena. Um, I like, uh, what's his name? Chung. Uh, C-H-E-U-N-G. Why can't I think of his first name? He's got, he was one of the first ones that I picked up because I liked the way he drew Thanos a lot. Nice. Um, I like John Byrne, you know, some, yeah. some classics. Uh, Alex Ross is sort of a god, uh, but he doesn't really do books much anymore, though he did a Fantastic Four book recently, which was great because they're my fave. And um, yeah, I've got a lot. Oh, uh, ooh, what's that guy? Rafa Sandoval, who works for DC. Any book he does, I will check out. And he's always jumping between stories. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm reading issue number 347 of Green Lantern today. Because <laughs> Okay, so who are some of your favorite manga artists? Manga- there are mangaka. Some- mangaka. Yes, that's the word. As far as artists go, I don't think anyone's ever had a cooler style that's he's made to look so effortless as Tight Kubo, who's the artist for Bleach. Bleach mm-hmm. has suffered because it's anime. The people who do the anime have never been able to draw half as well as the manga. So anytime they do anything that is like off script or isn't directly based on a panel, it looks far shittier than the way that the manga did. And so a lot of people's opinions of Bleach, I think, are tainted. The manga is gorgeous. It kind of has a, a bad rep because it ended really terribly but the art is like its own 
I have a high appreciation for that. And there's a fair amount of influence in terms of like what I think is aesthetically cool comes from Bleach. Um, there is the guy who did Death Note. So Death Note has a, an artist and an author, and they've actually worked together yeah. on a couple of things. The artist who did Death Note is extremely talented. I mean, just really good at, again, drawing with a degree of realism that kind of boggles the mind. Um, the There's a, an artist named Haruhisa Nakata who did a book that I just saw in a bookstore and I picked up. It's called Levius. And I was like, this is incredibly well drawn. So I bought it and I ended up reading the whole story. It's a pretty good story, but the art is like, crazy good it's like french realism inspired and amazing the guy who does the one punch man comic is kind of a god but like stylistically he's not my favorite you can tell he's extremely talented it's just like it's not my fave to look at which happens with a lot of things Mm -hmm. um man (laughs) there's a lot like i could oh i mean obviously the dude who does um my hero academia Oh, uh, yeah. Koshi. That dude is crazy. He's so crazy. He kind of, I had to stop reading because I was like getting discouraged. I was like, I, I just thought, I was like, I put my book down. I was like, I can never do this shit. And if I keep reading this, it's going to make me feel like I can never make a manga. And I'm trying oh. to make a manga right do now. Oh, hell I don't yes. Need that. Um, <laughs> I don't need that. Uh, I'm making a manga. I have been off and on since high school, but we kind of, it faded. And then when we all moved back to the same town, it's written by two of my dear friends. Malik and Samaje. Samaje, who went to college in Ark City, Kansas, by the way. Oh, shit. Um, and that's been an ongoing process that, again, is super Hell hard yeah. to manage working. But um, what I have done, I'm very proud of. I'm trying to make it so that when we finally launch this thing, every drawing, every panel is like unclockable. That's the goal. It's a very yeah. strong goal. I don't know if I'm quite that good, but I want it to really, I want people who are fans of manga to look at this and say, damn, that looks professional. That looks Japanese. That looks incredible because nice. I'm a big student of that. And I would be ashamed if, you know, cause I mean, I don't want to talk shit, but there's a lot of people that have tried to do that and have come short. I've at- seen some really shitty manga, especially yeah. coming out of the U S <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Especially and coming out of the U S I think they call <laughs> it. <Dojinshi. laughs> but then I've seen shitty or maybe not shitty, but like, uh, manga done by by people who maybe like weren't incredibly you know talented artists that have also been like really good manga and the story has been really good and the skill that they did have they used really effectively i, I kind of so. felt that way about attack on titan i was gonna say that yeah <laughs> yeah on the attack on titan manga people say that about time. uh chainsaw man too <laughs> Yeah, and the Chainsaw Man manga is like it's very dirty and dingy. I really love how they use like gutter space. And, yeah, but like Ooh, I have a recommendation for you. Then have you seen or heard of or read Doro Hidoro? Um, I, yes. Oh my god, I love manga. <laughs> uh, they're not probably making a season two. I think it's fair to say it. Oh, those but, bastards! It actually but, yeah. tickles a particular fancy of mine. <laughs> yeah, I have a guess, but we won't go there. Uh, <laughs> I've um, talked about it on the show before, but anyway. oh, okay. Yeah, it's excellent. It's it's nitty gritty. I have the manga. The manga is ex- it's like even it's way grittier even than the anime, just because it's very scratchy. Like the yeah. That the author does, she just is like, it's just really rough almost, but it fits the atmosphere of the story really well. It's great. If you don't get a chance, I mean, if they don't ever make an, a, a season two, you should read the story all the way to the end because it just gets better and better. It's awesome. Oh, it's really hell cool. yeah. But what was, um? I can never remember the guy's name, the guy who did Baki and... Oh, uh, 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 Keisuke Itagaki. Itagaki, yes. Um, are you familiar with... Um, 
any of that, any stuff that he's I done. I don't think so. I've had kids ask me about it because the, the kids, especially fourth graders, love anime. And I've had a couple be like, do you watch Baki? I'm like, I don't, I don't. I, I think I know what it looks like. Very like anatomical and like yes. edgy a little bit. Like very the uh, manga is kind of 80s. Yeah, very 80s. The, the style of the manga is extremely distinct. If you haven't seen it yet, I absolutely suggest uh, taking a look at it. Because um, it's just really unique and very, I want to say homoerotic. <laughs> Itagaki does have a thing about dicks. Like. <laughs> like you can tell he's like, you know, married and has kids, but you can tell this dude loves dudes. Okay. Well, that's the same thing with the Jojo guy. I mean, yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> But like the thing with uh, with Itagaki too is how much he loves like fucking like like pro sumo like he did like a whole arc yes. on and Baki like that's just about sumo and it's like cool. he put Takayasu in there it looks like it's <laughs> fucking awesome. Takayasu. There are but, several Rikishi in there that are like modeled after. There's an Inho Rikishi. and yeah yeah. So if you like sumo and you like manga, definitely check out the the yeah. sumo arc in Baki. Yeah, that's it's fucking awesome. Anyway, um, so like, you know, whenever you were talking about uh, manga and comics, I noticed that you like talking about uh, like, you know, things that are like dynamic, kind of like, you know, like with sumo, sumo is something that's like super dynamic. So what was it that made you kind of wanted to capture these like bodies in motion and like sumo or to, you know, like artistically capture sumo in any form? So a big part of why I like sumo to begin with is that I am always I'm into things that have like that are like character driven, right? I like stories that are character driven. I think it's probably why I yeah. like manga because a lot of the times I feel like manga is sort of like 10% plot and then 90% the characters are wacky and memorable and they have cartoonish personalities. And sumo is almost like a game to see how much you can take away from a person and still find out what makes them distinct and unique. Because especially to an American audience member who does not have a lot of access to those behind the scenes moments where you get to learn more about them as people, you just see mm -hmm. them on match day where everything attempts to be homogenized except for the color of their belt, the shape of their body, and their style of sumo. And that's why I think that sumo really is an art form because it is an art insofar as you are projecting yourself, like the essence of yourself on a level that you cannot communicate through words um into what you're doing like at its highest levels that is the sumo that i like even if it is not flashy yeah. if i feel like it is it is telling us about you that's why i'm a big kiseno sato fan yeah. because he was a strict adherent to his style of sumo and he got as far as he did in an era of like fluidity of technique i mean considering his top rivals and kind of they were sort of the opposite of that i don't want that to sound like too much of a criticism of the mongolians but mm -hmm. i asked i've asked social media before hey what would you say is hakuho's brand of sumo and the only thing that they could really tell me is winning and that's true <laughs> hakuho's brand of sumo was winning by whatever means necessary you know mm -hmm. i didn't really get a strong sense of hakuho's identity through his sumo in the same way that i do watching Sato, watching Terao, watching Takakesho, you know, these people who have dedicated themselves to something. And so when you look at that, you begin to sort of feel like you almost maybe because you're searching so far to find something that you can latch onto, even if it's all made up, you sort of start to feel connected to these individuals. 
Um, yeah. Like you project that onto them. And sometimes people do it in a negative way. Like it's funny how much people will talk shit about how, oh, I don't like the Rikishi's attitude. And I'm like, you see them stand there with this expression on their face. And yeah, then they I do. Their match and they either win or they lose and they have this expression on their face. And yeah. then they leave. And that is all you get of their personality and their attitude. So I don't know what the fuck you're making up in your brain, but unless it's Asa Shoryu, <laughs> Rikishi is that's, just deadpan all the time, you know? That's funny because I was just about to mention how people always think that Ho Shoryu, which is his nephew, <laughs> is like, you know, just this like mean guy and he's always like glaring at people and like mean mugging them. No, he just can't see. He's exactly. not wearing he's his glasses. So we have to because he's squint. nearsighted. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, and like, honestly, I'll admit, even I thought that for a while. Like he was thought that he was mean. And then yeah. like no, then he's just he's just squinting. He doesn't have his glasses on. Yeah. I just see his uncle in him and I'm like, oh God, it's one of the but he's clearly like way more chill, which is oh, probably yeah. he's not half oh, as yeah. good. But um so that's part of it. And then also I really like character design. And the fun thing about Rikishi is that again, they don't have any character design because like if you're looking at it from a comic book standpoint. There's this thing in comic books called same face syndrome, right? Yeah. Where comic book artists will draw every character as like, if you shaved them bald and took off their clothes, they would look exactly the same. The only thing that would be different, different would be the color of their eyes and the tone of their skin, maybe. But half the time, those are just the same anyway. And so they rely entirely on the costuming to like determine which character this is. They don't have facial features, whatever. And with yeah. Rikishi, you know, you see them, they're so far away. They all have the same haircut and the same hair color. So you have belt color. And then you have body type. And so it becomes this interesting exercise where I have to express a character design, but I'm not adding clothing. I'm not adding like, you know, all these knickknacks and things. I'm just like examining very closely the way that fat or muscle or both sits on this person's body and to try and express who they are. And when you take that, doing it realistically is fun, but then doing it in like a stylized cartoonish way. Is like, okay, did I capture the essence of their character design going on nothing? Like, I've got nothing to work with, but did I still pull it off? Could you tell who this character is if I, like, cut their head off, you know, and still caricaturize them? Can you tell who they are? And that's what I'm constantly kind of, like, that's my battle. That's my artistic battle. These I was going to say is, like, I've noticed those minute details, like, on, on just, like, you know, your digital dudes. Like, <laughs> like the Chia no Fuji one, I knew that was Chia no Fuji, like, on site. You know, and uh, Kotono Waka, I was like, yep, they're, they're all, <laughs> all four of them are there, you yeah. know, so it, it and I, I love that. I love that attention to detail. I love like how you shade to show the muscles, you know, or oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's badass. And the other I, thing is, again, the collecting, like I'm trying to, because if yeah. you notice, I've done series where it's everyone is in the same. Po- I mean, it goes back to literally these chibis I did as a third grader. It's the exact same ethos, the same as the cartoon, the like superhero cartoons, the same as the DeviantArt chibis. I'm doing the same thing all throughout my life, just with a different subject matter. Because now you can't really get sumo merch in America, not conveniently, not quickly, not in such a way. Some people really love sumo cards and that does seem kind of up my alley, but again, it's money and it's all that. I just make my own thing. So I have my own little cards, my own little cartoon cards that I, I don't have a lot of them physically. I do have a sticker fridge where I have a bunch of my guys. I've got Keisho, Shodai, Akuho, Kodonawaka, Asunayama, Usashimaru, Akebono, and Grimace from McDonald's. <laughs> um, oh my god, please tell me Grimace is wearing a Mawashi. <laughs> Uh-oh, did we freeze did we up? Lose him? Uh-oh. Oh no. Oh no. No! Shit, hold on. 
yeah, sorry about that. Um, our internet service provider is a huge fucking jack off. I just thought my grimace joke killed it so hard that the internet went out. Oh no way! The grimace was. You awesome. know what? That's that's what we're going with. That is absolutely. What I we're going with. fucking love grimace. I've got some grimaces back there underneath the bowies. I don't know if you can see them. And you know, while we're on the subject, uh, can I pose a grimace-related question to you two? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, fuck Mary Kill. Oh no, Gr- grimace. <laughs> Uh, the original Grimace from 1970, who was evil and had four arms. Whoa. That one. Or Uncle O'Grimacy, Grimace's Irish uncle. He okay. Shamrock shake time. Definitely fuck the scary evil Grimace. Whoa. Oh, and you said he was edgy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, certain things tickle my fancy. Foxy. Um. <laughs> I would probably marry the Uncle Grimace. And then what was you the other it. one? Regular, regular Grimace. Yeah, just kill regular Grimace. No, oh. there's nothing special. <laughs> nothing special about him. Oh, man. <laughs> what? Well, I know what kind of person you are. Uh... Hey, it's the four arms and scariness that gets <laughs> I've, I've instantly been canceled on the uh, fast food internet. <laughs> It would be like getting a hug from Goro. It would. Also tickles my fancy. Yes. Yes. She's always trying to give me high ponytails. She's like, you might look like Goro. You look like him when Anyway. um, You know what they should do? They should throw a Mawashi on Grimace. I bet he'd... uh, He'd do great. I think Grimace... He'd do great in the dojo. Yeah. I think he could probably break through Upper Makushita, have a little stint in Jurio, but not enough to become an Oyakata, but I do think he'd open up a killer restaurant afterward. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Killer Tonko restaurant. Grimace's Meatland. Tonko fast food, you know? That'd be great. No, that would not be great. I've made Tonko many a time, and um, I wouldn't want it like... The things you have to do in the fast food industry. Did you, have we lost the plot on this episode? Um, <laughs> that just makes it more entertaining, honestly. So, I mean, I wasn't going to say anything. Uh, but we we did have a few questions for you, specifically about Pro Sumo. Who are your favorite Rikishi currently? Active Rikishi. Um, my number, my main man, and I make no secrets about this, is Takakesha. And it's been Takakesho since I started Sumo. And for me, it's because Takakesho is the Rock Lee of Sumo at this time. Yeah. Where he has no aptitude for Yotsuzumo. And instead of, like, trying to get that, he's just like, fuck it, Taijutsu. Like, I'm just going to push people and I'm going to be the best at it and it's going to work for me. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, he made Ozaki at 22, which is crazy. People don't give him credit for that. It's weird. All these conversations about, like, oh, bring in the new generation, the Wakatakakages, the Kiribayamas, you know. And I'm like, those guys are older than Takakesho. Like, yeah. you just think Takakesho is one of the like the previous gen, but he's just been so good at such a young age that like he could be around for ten more years. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, like he could be around longer than some of those guys. Who knows? But um, yeah. he doesn't get enough credit. But that's a whole thing. Um, I like Takakesho a lot. Koto Nowaka is my man. If you want to talk about the up and comers, as they're called. Kotonowaka is my favorite. And part of that is because I think as awesome as Wakataka Kage can be, um, I get a little bit like hipstered out. Uh, I also feel like (laughs) 
And so I'm like, I don't want to bandwagon Waka Kage. And I've been a fan of his since he started just because he's had some amazing moments. Yeah. I'm not really on the Hoshoryu bandwagon like a lot of people are. I think people want him to be as good as his uncle. He's not as good mm-hmm. as his uncle. He doesn't even fight at all like his uncle, especially not at that age. I don't know. He hasn't had that huge wow factor yet. And I'm more rooting for him out of my fondness for like history and legacy. And that is true to some extent for Kota Nawaka, but Kota Nawaka has had like a remarkable consistency since he kind of yeah. came back from that. Total dark horse. And I also like the big dudes. I feel like American fans, certainly there's a bias towards lighter weight Rikishi. I think Wakataka Kage is super popular, partially because, I mean, he's hot. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I get that. But also, and it is remarkable when you see a lighter weight Rikishi be successful in this day and age, just because it's not as common. But I don't think that people get the credit that maybe, like, I feel like Kota Nawaka should be on everybody's. And he's getting there. He's getting on people's yeah. like, favorite oh, lists. Yeah. As time goes on, but I've been on that shit since he debuted in Makuchi. I was watching at that time, and I was like, ooh, first of all, I love his belt colors, because everyone yeah. in Sarugatake Beya always has a great belt color. Like, the Koto Echo, like, the, the they like pastels, and I'm yeah. Into, yeah. Um, the lavender. Yeah. yeah, it's great, but, um, so that was, but yeah, anyway, I want him to be Yokozuna, or at least I want him to be Ozeki so he can take his grandpa's name, because his grandpa was a fucking beast. His grandpa, I've been obsessed with this thing. And if I didn't have this stupid fasciitis, I'd be beating the <laughs> shit out of my brother trying to do it. But Koto Zakura, who was a Yokozuna in the 70s, he won five titles. Um, He would do this thing at the Tachiai that is just, it's crazy. Like if I ever saw someone do this these days, I would be like, that is the fucking best. <laughs> he would, I mean, it's so fast. Right at the jump, he would secure this position where his right arm would go wrapped around yours like underneath but he wasn't trying to get a belt he was trying to he would basically pull his right arm like up and in so that it would lock your arm in this useless upright position like he was trying to snap it yeah and then his left arm would hit the throat like crazy and he'd drive from enough of an angle that your other arm is just trying to get him the fuck off your throat but the one arm is locked up and useless and he would just fucking i'm gonna send you this match it's him beating kitano fuji with it and it's one of the oh, most aggressively yeah. one-sided, just brutal. I mean, it's so good. If Koto Nawaka, Kitano Fuji even said this because he's still around and he commentates. He said, yeah. he's fighting a lot like his dad, Koto Nawaka Sr. I want to see him fight more like his grandpa. And I agree Ooh. because that would be awesome. Because he's yeah. a lot bigger than his fucking grandpa. Yeah. And um, could probably generate a lot of power. But instead, he has his dad's reactive style, which makes sense because his dad is his coach. And his grandpa's been dead since he was a little kid. Yeah. For me to really appreciate, you know, Kotonowaka the younger, I really did have to watch more bouts with his dad, you know, Mm -hmm. and see kind of like, and I was like, that's, the the connection was clear once I saw like some of his dad's old bouts. I was like, oh, okay. And then I really started to appreciate, you know, his style a lot more. But, um, what I really like about Kotonowaka's style is he's like, he's just mean. He's brutal. <laughs> and I think he could be even brutaler. And I would like yeah. to see him become, Which, but he's he's smart too. You know, he has like a very, cere- I wouldn't say cerebral, but he's he's just whip smart. You know, he's just very reactive. That was a good way to put that's, it. That's his dad. And what's funny about that is you see people refer to different Rikishi as being baby face. No one looks like a 12 year old more than Kotonowaka. Like yeah. he <laughs> looks like a big kid. And even after all this time in the top division, getting the shit slapped out of him because people love to bring up that match, he still looks just like very youthful. And his dad was known for being very good looking and had these kind of chiseled features. Yeah, it's very a damn thing like his son, other than the fact that they were both gigantic dudes. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So I love Kota Nowaka. 
I root for Oho because he's a big guy and he's a legacy. Yeah, I really you know, like Oho too. His sumo itself has not blown me away. He has days where he is like really patient and really smart. And then he has days where he is the exact opposite of that. And I don't know if that'll yeah. just go away with age or what, but I'm, I hope to see him figure it out and stick around. Um, <laughs> who else do I really, these days, do I really like? I mean, I like Abby. I like Abby. Yeah. I like Abby too. And I think it was bullshit how many people were talking shit about him after his Yusho win, especially his style of sumo, because like like you mentioned with with uh, Takakesho, it, it is a very similar style, style of sumo, but like... I don't know. Uh, Abby does a, a few other things too, but nobody talks shit about Takakesho for his Oshizumo. But Sometimes they want to talk. Yeah, eh, I haven't heard it nearly as much as they talk shit about Abby, and I think that's just because everybody was pissed off that Takayasu didn't win like they wanted him to because he kept not winning, you know, and everybody wanted to see him finally win. But anyway, yeah. Well, they were also like mad because they got. <laughs> Because Takayasu got hurt and they called it like a hanka, but I was like, this is what yeah. I, I said. He beat Takayasu, he beat his ass the first time. Yeah. Like, you can yeah. talk about him kind of jumping to the side. Takayasu seemed to almost knock himself out or whatever happened to that weird match. But the the pre-playoff match, he just won fair and square. And right. like you can't take that away from him. He beat Takakesho really handily. Mm-hmm. Um, I partially like Abi because I do like pusher thrusters. I also like mm-hmm. him because he's been Pretty damn consistent since he came back, you know, to the top division. And because I'm a huge fan of his coach. Yeah. Um, his coach, Terao, is the... If I cut together a highlight of all the hundreds of clips I have on this iPad of, like, all the sumo that I've watched and thought that match was good enough that I want to save it, I bet Terao would show up in highlight matches, win or lose, more often than anybody else. Because he was just the most exciting fucking dude ever. <laughs> Terrell's yeah. ring sense was unparalleled. His footwork was unparalleled. And just the way he'd go at it. We don't have anything like that anymore either. Like he's, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's how good you had to be to like make it to Sekiwake for a tournament in the 80s. Like just you and had to be crazy. Pass some of that on to Abby, which it does seem like Abby's ring sense has gotten a bit better lately. Yeah. But, you know, to be at that level, like just uh, like, how do you teach somebody that? I don't even know. I, I don't know either. That's like one Suriyashi of the- <laughs> drills. That's it. Well, they said Tarao would hit the tempo pull a thousand times a day. So, oh goddamn! I guess my other big guy is Takayasu. I'm a big Takayasu fan. I've talked about this on Twitter. I don't know if it was last year or two years ago where I made I made an estimation of who I thought the five best guys in sumo were, and um, Takayasu was in my top five. I think that Takayasu is a categorically better Rikishi than pretty much everybody else competing in terms of like well-roundedness, power, sumo sense, strong decision-making tactics, and just like, I mean, aggression and spirit. He is just unfortunately now at an age and has been dealing with particular, like his body is breaking down in ways that is making it impossible for him to keep up consistently. But when he is in good shape, tell me he doesn't look as good as everybody. There was a while where he was one of the guys who was consistently beating Terano Fuji, and he was the only guy who could do it on the belt is the thing. Because Terano Fuji, we all know, loses to the Daeshos and the Tamawashis um, and occasionally Abi and Takakesho. But Takayasu was like, I am smart enough at this belt game that maybe I won't go chest to chest, but I can get that angle on you. I can work you shit, get you moving sideways and beat you. And like nobody else can do that because the people who try 
are too small to do it. Like Wakataka Kage. I have a running theory that Wakataka Kage, Hoshoryu, and Kiribayama will never beat Terunobuji. And so far, with the exception of Waka beating him back in his like injurio or something, um, maybe Makushita, that has proven true. They have yeah. never beaten him because mm. they're trying to do a style of sumo. They're writing checks. They're writing sumo checks that their <laughs> sumo bodies cannot catch. <laughs> <laughs> Takayasu's sumo body can cash those fucking checks, and watching it do that is awesome. I just want him to get a Yusho. I don't care if he returns yeah. to Ozeki. I don't think that that's on the table because I th- don't think he can keep himself together for the number of tournaments it takes to return to Ozeki. But I absolutely think he could have a fucking Yusho. In it. I know. It's just yeah. His mind can hold up in the face of the rough year he had last year. I want him to have a fucking Yusho. It's just so fucking sad when he doesn't get it. I'm just. We've I'm been just... Takayasu fans for a very long time as well. And after this last year, it was... It was rough. Like, yeah, I was, I was very happy for Abby because he's another one of my favorites when he won that Basho. But, um, it was also very rough to see Takayasu lose again. And then you know? whenever he lost again. Not lose, but like not, uh, win the U show. Yeah. The other one was uh, against Wakataka Kage. I wanted oh him to, God, to beat that... Wakataka Kage so badly. I can't rewatch that match. It just I broke know. my heart. In March, that was fucking so oh, sad for me. I know. It was yeah. rough. And then the yeah. Kamawashi one, he seemed kind of over it. He was like, yeah, whatever. I lost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, was, that's the thing. he was like, he was a, a win away from the Yusho three times last year. That's crazy. Yeah. Our Ozeki didn't do that. Like, yeah. I, I don't know that our Yokozuna did that last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Takayasu. He is just so damn good. So now that we've talked about Protumo a little bit, you did mention that you do kind of uh, keep track of some of the amateur sumo clubs in the U.S. Do you ever uh, check out some of the other international ones or anything like that? Yeah, I, I mean, of course, there's Clan Sumo. Right, Scott yeah, Finley. that was yeah. where I was going because Scott yeah. was a good friend of mine, and um, you yeah. know, I, I, oh, nice, nice, you got the <laughs> got the t-shirt and everything. Uh, but. Yeah, so I guess I've been increasingly following uh, since we started doing sumo because it makes me like want to see basically trying to like, okay, I'm sizing up these amateurs because I'm like, yeah, I know that professional sumo, like I know what it's supposed to look like and I'm not going to get to that fucking level anytime (laughs) soon. But let me see like what the people who do it more casually, uh, let me see kind of, you know, how they do it, where they're at and things like that. And so I've been paying more attention to it, but I hadn't paid a lot of attention to it previously. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to follow all the amateurs, especially if they put out a lot of footage. And I've seen some guys that I'm like, oh, damn, that dude's really good. Like, you know, and I don't know names even well enough to say, but I will say there are things that are certainly done differently. Like me and my brother, we don't do the amateur sumo style, have a ref say when you go. We do like a... The mutual consent. Yeah, Yeah. we do that kind of tachiai. Um, And I also feel like there is not a lot of Oshizumo in amateur sumo. And I talked to John Jackson about this too, and he agreed. And I think maybe part of it is because, if I had to speculate, it's because, like, Oshizumo is where you really are beating the shit out of somebody. If you Mm want to go whole hog on Oshizumo, you are going to be smacking the crap out of people. And if you are training predominantly with, like, strangers or maybe friends or even sometimes people who are, like, way younger than you, like, minors, you know, you are not going to go in and just, like... Ake bono them to death. You're going <laughs> to do the belt because it's it's less painful. It That's why I was excited to do it with my brother. Because yeah. me and my brother know where we're at. We're like, dude, we've been beating the fuck out of each other for 
ever. <laughs> and we're fine with it. Everyone else that does sumo, I'm kind of like, okay, so what are you cool with? Like, do you mind if I do this or this or this? Or if I want them to like it and stick with it, I'm not going to come out of the gate with that. But against yeah. Max, it's like, I know I can do whatever. And he's going to dish it back if he's pissed about it. But he's not going to get mad at me personally. And yeah. I'm not going to get mad at him. I, I, I would like to see more of that watching amateur sumo or i hope as i continue to watch amateur sumo more because again i haven't seen a lot of it that i will find kind of some people who are just really willing to to 100 hit them with that 80s fighting spirit you know man they're, they're we're trying to do that in, in uh dallas so like Corey is like a really big fan of a lot of pusher thrusters he you know really really admires tarao and uh that that kind of style so he wants to He's been encouraging everybody to do it in practice, and the ones that really took to it are the women's team. Like, oh God! The yeah, the yes. like. So we have these two sisters, the Twister sisters, and they fucking notawa. They fucking like hammer it because, <laughs> like, you know, something. And you know, we've been doing uh, co-ed bouts, you know, during practice. So like, you know, we fight each other, and they just fucking knock the shit out of me. They're just gee, 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 gee. they're fucking they, mean, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they they fight on the belt and they do like a lot of hip tosses and stuff like that. But no, they will. Fuck, they know to wall the shit out of each other. They know to wall Corey, <laughs> smack. And then, um, like at the most recent uh, Mighty Eagle team tournament that we did in um, San Antonio, it was great because uh, Steven, Steven's a lightweight, you know, and he's got really long arms, you know, really long legs. And then there's Jared Tadlock, who is the Texas State champ. And Jared's yes. style, Jared really does. That's doesn't. weird. I have, a, I have a friend named Jared Tadlock who's like seven feet tall. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> For like a, a university in West Virginia, same name, totally different guy. I'm sure that's but, fucking crazy. Yeah. But no, no, this Jared Tadlock, like the way he moves, he moves like a pro. Like his body movements look like a fucking pro ricochet. Yes, yes. And and uh, and he has a very kind of push pull kind of style that you don't really see, you know. And and he's very much like a wrestler wrestler. He actually used to be a pro wrestler. He's very tactical. Oh, yeah. One of our style. guys that does it is my old roommate, who I got into sumo pretty big, and he was a pro wrestler. He was like an acro. I got to see oh, him yeah. doing it. Crazy flips and dips and shit. And uh, he comes and does sumo with us. He's got knee troubles and they do affect him in his sumo, which is a shame because he has zero regard for his own well-being. One <laughs> 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 of those guys. He hits so fucking hard at the Tachiya. He just like because he doesn't care. Um, and so yeah, uh, yeah. Pro wrestlers, That's, man. I wish oh, I could hell yeah. There's like a scene around here. There's an indie wrestling scene. That's actually, I nice. used to do cartoon merch for indie wrestlers oh, all yeah. around the country. And I don't know much about pro wrestling. Like, I own everything I know, I know through these connections. That's so badass. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. But anyway, like, it was, I was talking about Steven, Steven and uh, Jared. You know, Jared, he's probably like one of like the best amateur wrestlers that, or amateur sumo wrestlers that I know. Steven just hauls off and like slaps the shit out oh of him. And you can hear everyone in the venue is like, ooh. <laughs> and then at, after the match, you can see like there's a picture. It's just like Steven's handprint, just like. Red. Just, like Handprint. Oh man, I'll, I'll have to send that to you later. It's fucking gorgeous. But no, so like they've really like Corey really has been encouraging us to um you know to work with more Oshi. And with me, he's like you know I have these big arms. I have like you know these giant legs. I could take giant steps. It was you know it's logical for me to utilize you know a more Oshi style. I think I should probably do more tempo. And I want to get fucking accurate. You know, I saw this, uh, and it's silly because it was on Hinamaru Sumo. Have you watched Hinamaru Sumo? Uh, no, I have beef with it, but 
No, that's that's funny. Ooh, we got to we got to hear about that beef in a second. We get to your sumo hot takes. But But there there was this uh, exercise that one of the characters was doing with like a ball like hanging from like a string, and like they was like using that to try and you know build accuracy. So I'm thinking maybe I should try something like that. If you get a chance to check out Raijin Sumo uh, out of North Carolina, Eric Wynn, he uses a lot of Oshi and he is, his Tachiai is like a fucking Mack truck. Like it it just seriously, like you could feel the ripples in space time whenever he fucking slams into someone. It's like, it's that just, and he has this like presence. It's like his face like contorts into like, he just looks like so mean, almost demonic. And then like when he steps out of the dojo, he's all smiles and like, you know. <laughs> he's definitely one of the, the bigger characters in us amateur sumo. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Eric's awesome. All right. So you said, uh, Hinamaru sumo, you got some beef. Passive observation beef, but the number one thing that made me not want to watch it is that they don't have sumo bodies. Like, by and large, everybody in the cast is either just kind of beefy or they're, like, big, but not in a way that looks like a fat person. They're big in a way that just looks like if you took someone who was beefy and then made them more square. And (laughs) as someone who's had so much fun drawing, like, sumo bodies, uh, I feel like a sumo manga and a sumo anime should, like, fucking learn how to draw sumo bodies (laughs) i mean uh, that and then the fact that like as far as i can tell as an anime it's not really animated very much which is a problem with a lot of low budget productions there's a lot of animation going on which some people don't understand a lot of people will confuse glitz and glam and i don't think this is happening with hinomaru but it happens with other things people know when you're watching hinomaru you're probably doing it because you're a sumo fan and you will take whatever content you can get but for an anime like i want it to be pretty um and i want it to to move you know and there's just a lot of ways that when you don't have a lot of money um that you know an anime will cut corners and and it's 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 just one of those it that's a lot of anime it's a lot of shows people like them maybe it's got a great story maybe it's got great characters i don't know and i'm not going to find out because they don't i don't know they're just you know it's not sumo enough for me like you don't have to <laughs> yeah. again they to me they saw the same challenge that i did regarding character design and they fucking they turned tail and ran they were like oh god how do i make Rikishi look different oh what if i gave him Yu-Gi-Oh hair like that's what they did and i'm like yeah fuck y'all i'm not interested but no i i get it the manga is fucking great and sometimes and hinamaru is definitely one of those things where it's like the manga is way cooler than the anime but i still love that's the- usually true i've found all right. Well, what are some of your other sumo hot takes? Give yeah. me your spiciest. Okay. Uh... <laughs> so some of these things are, you know, not that bad, like not too hot water territory. And then others, if you speak them publicly, like in a sumo forum online, you're going to get flamed so fucking bad that like you won't want to be a part of any community anymore. And those are things like saying that I don't think that Hakuho is the greatest sumo wrestler of all time. Um, And the reason that that is a difficult conversation to have, number one, is because we are barely out of the Hakuho era. Hakuho's fans are still very much alive and well, very active in sumo. And also, numerically speaking, there is no argument there. If you look solely at the numbers, Hakuho is the greatest sumo wrestler of all time. I I refer to him, and this is my backhanded like way of, of not referring to him as the greatest. I always call him the most successful sumo wrestler of all time, because that as a statement is inarguable. You can pick and choose certain statistics and say that there are people who could compare or even outdo him, especially if it's from like way back in the day where yeah. comparisons get a little murky. Um, but 
in general, like, no, he he's the one to beat. And so when you try to have a conversation, especially with American sports fans who ha- have just gotten off of watching this man's career about how the ways in which he, to me, is less impressive than like a Chiyo no Fuji, yeah. um, it, it never, ever gets off the ground. It gets stuck in the fucking weeds so fast because mm-hmm. people just want to go like, you show win streak, Zen shows, win ratio. And I'm like, you have to look at the sumo. This is the hard part. You have to look at the sumo. You have to, number one, agree with me on what my conceptualization of sumo is and what it means to be a good Yokozuna. Um, and all those things, all those weird subjective things about projecting a sense of yourself, having a style, being able to win with your style in spite of adversity, you know, that take me back to Chio as sort of the great example. And I think most of this conversation between people comes down to Hakuho and Chiono Fuji, partially because Taiho was is a little too old for a lot of people's familiarity. But um, it's just that Chiono Fuji was a, I mean, he was an all gas, no brakes, powerhouse fighter. Yeah. who was doing things with his 275 pounds that you couldn't see Hakuho do today. Think about the amount of trouble Ichino Joe gave everybody's ass when he arrived on the scene with his short hair back in like 2014. Mm-hmm. He was fucking people up because they just couldn't move the motherfucker. Like he fought like a tree. He roots himself in the ground. He waits for you to, to get all the gas out of your tank. And then when he finally has the opportunity, he's big and he's strong. He can wrap you up and he'll do what he's got to do. He can't really do that as much these days because he has the back problems. But even then, someone who basically, I mean, does a lot of just standing still is as successful as Ichino Joe is in this era. You go back to the 80s, you had Ono Kuni. Ono Kuni was a, an Ichino Joe-sized wrestler who would fucking hop around on one foot like crazy before you would ever throw his ass over. Ichino Joe, Hoshoryu gets a grip on him and you, he just rolls him. I mean, he rolls him. The motherfucker falls right over. Like, that's just how it goes these days. Ono yeah. Kuni, no way. And yet, Shiono Fuji gets a one-hand inside grip on somebody the size of Ono Kuni, over 400 pounds. We have very few Rikishi who pass that threshold in Sekitori levels these days. And with a one-handed grip, he could yeet this motherfucker. With a two-handed <laughs> grip, he could pick up and swing 550-pound Konishiki. Nobody in sumo has been able to do anything like that since the Takanohana era. I mean, like, I bet Baruto could. I don't think he had a lot of competition that was that big at that mm-hmm. time because there's just not a lot of competition that's that big. That's the thing. Yeah. There aren't really any analogs for Konishiki. There's been one Konishiki. There's been... The Hawaiians are kind of their own breed of like just big and strong. And before and since there haven't been a lot of people that you can put in that same category. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like what I was saying. If you threw Akebono at Futabayama, I think Futabayama would probably get his shit wrecked just because he would never have in a million years imagined an opponent like that because they didn't make those back then. They had yeah. tall people. They had fairly heavy people. But most of his opponents were well under six feet tall. Most of his opponents were under 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. Six foot eight, five, 20? What the yeah. fuck? <laughs> I mean, a fucking giant. <laughs> and he's good. Like, Akebono wasn't just big. He was fucking good. But yeah. anyway, point being, the, the lukewarm version of this is to say, I personally am more impressed by what Chiono Fuji did. But my frank opinion, and I'm working constantly on how I can finally articulate this in a way that sounds like a convincing argument because it's tough. Yeah. It's, you know, again, statistically, I'm I'm beat. Like, there's no argument there. But 
in terms of like the sumo I've seen, what he could do, I think Chionofuji was a categorically more impressive Rikishi. Um, and Hakuho is an extremely impressive Rikishi. Hakuho does crazy shit. I mean, I've seen Hakuho bouts that are among the, the most awesome of all time, just in terms of the shit yeah. that he's pulling off. Still, crazy flipping, dipping, and 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 tripping, and, and all this these leg throws and stuff, those are great. I don't think it would help you if Chionofuji was on your ass, because nothing could save you when Chionofuji was on your ass. That dude was just the... He was the cat's pajamas. It's <laughs> true. I do think you bring up a good point, though. Like when comparing uh, different Rikshi, especially from different eras, it is important to look at what kind of opponents they were going up against. Right. There's a version of Hakuho's 63 match win streak that's on YouTube, but it's in absolute shit quality, like really low resolution of the bouts, which makes it sort of difficult to watch just because, you know, you can't see everything very clearly. The Chionofuchi 53 match win streak is up in great quality several different videos of it on youtube and i wish someone would go back and re-upload the hakuho because i used to watch the hakuho and the chionofuji to try and compare and kind of formulate this opinion and what i noticed a lot about the hakuho ones is that motherfuckers just fall over i mean <laughs> like and i have sort of some theories about that too that might get me in hot water and I, they're oh, not I'd love to hear them <laughs> well okay I went, there was a period where I went from watching a lot of 70s and 80s sumo, and then I jumped ahead to about like 2003, 2004. And I was really shocked at how much the use of things like hankas and hataki komis at least appeared to increase. And you might be able to look up the statistics of this, and it's possible that this is just the tournaments I happen to be watching. It seemed this way and it made it seem skewed. So I haven't done the research. Maybe this is based on a false assumption, but it seemed like we got to a point where sidestepping became way more prevalent, slapdowns became way more prevalent, people falling over and losing on their hands and losing on their stomachs became way more prevalent rather than getting thrown or getting you know, removed from the ring, which is what we seem to see a lot more of in the 70s and 80s. And my theory was, there's levels to this that are increasingly messy. I think that the success of the Hawaiians probably did motivate the general ballooning of Rikishi that occurred from the middle 80s onward, which is not to say that Konishiki was the first really big guy. He kind of came up at a time when there were several. Takamiyama was one of, at the time Takamiyama was a wrestler, he might have been the heaviest wrestler ever at the He's end of his career. Pretty big dude. Um, because he was, I think he broke 400. And you, you almost never had Rikishi over 400 pounds before 1985. But Konishiki bursts onto the scene in 1984, and you've got a couple other big guys. You've got Asashio. He's like a 400. You get Mito Izumi, who it would break 400. You get Koto Gaume, who would break 400. You know, you're starting to see it more. But Konishiki was so good so fast. And yeah. people like to attribute that entirely to his size. That's not fair. Konishiki was one of the physically strongest dudes to ever do it. He was one of the biggest, like, gym heads to ever do it. The amount that he was lifting as a high school student. I mean, he talks about it. It's crazy. Yeah. That dude was a machine, but his weight was a big part of that. I mean, it, it powered his attack to an extent that nobody had ever really seen before and made him probably the second strongest pusher thruster that's ever done it. And um, considering his size, too, I mean, he was like hella athletic. I mean, just yeah. just the way he could like move. I mean, he was like incredibly like fast, like, you know, going from one side of the dojo to the other and just like a blink of an eye, you know, and just right. pushing people out. It was just like, Dee! Yeah, yeah. He, he also follows us on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I will sing his praises forever because he's one of my very favorites. Um, oh, fuck and, yeah. Uh, fuck yeah. And I think. Me. 
so you see Konishiki showing up and you see like, again, like Ono Kuni, Mito Izumi, some big guys who are starting to see some really real success. Ono Kuni made Yokozuna. Konishiki should have made Yokozuna, which might be another hot take and we can get into that. But I think I have a super strong case there. And then eventually, you know, you get Musashi Maru and Akebono, who are also humongous and tremendously successful. People forget Musashi Maru, Akebono, 12 and 11 championships. They're both on the top 10 of all time list. Like, yeah. that's a lot. Yeah. It, it doesn't happen. For Yokozuna, they're way above average. And I wonder if Rikishi began to see the fact that we have these huge guys who are just so big that in some ways people can't deal with them. Because, you know, Akebono was not a whiz on the belt, but he was still very tough to beat on the belt because, again, he was just so big. He would wrap you up. He'd keep his legs wide. And unless you were strong enough to destabilize him from that position, which there were a handful of guys that were like Wakano Sato, like Takano Hana, you know, most people, they couldn't do anything. Same thing Konishiki. Konishiki wasn't going to hit you with some crazy kakenage. That'd be ridiculous. He was just going <laughs> to he was going to eclipse you and carry you out of the ring. And it worked. And I think people saw that and they were like, well, if I can just gain a lot of weight, become a pusher thruster, or maybe just like kind of eat people with my body, (laughs) maybe it'll be a key to success. And it must have worked to some extent because you get a lot more bigger guys in the top division over the course of the next 20 years. But I, there are certainly drawbacks, at least, especially in this era. I don't know how we had Ono Kuni back in the day, just hopping around like crazy, but there are drawbacks to being that big in terms of, uh, techniques you can use. Yeah. You can't do a kake nage at 550 pounds. It's not going to happen, and it would be ridiculous if you tried it. Um, but I mean, your balance will suffer. Not yeah. to say that these aren't the most amazingly balanced people in the world, but you know, Konishiki when he got big, big, his problem was if he started going forward, he couldn't stop himself, and if he started going backwards, he could not shift gear and return forward momentum because he just couldn't generate it like from any parts of. I mean, there was just too much weight on top that was being used in those cases against him. It's why when he lost a lot after kind of the Yokozuna bid didn't work out and his he sort of got bigger and bigger. Um, it was because he was getting juked. It was because I mean, people were figuring out how to get him to fall over. Yeah, he mm-hmm. lost on his face a lot. And a lot of that is because of how big he was. Akebono too. You juke Akebono, he might fall over because it's just the train can't stop that quickly. It's too much. Um, so combine that with then the introduction of the first wave of Mongolians in the 90s, right? The likes yeah. of Kyoku Shuzan and those guys. Kyoku Shuzan was one of the big reasons they added Kimariate to the official list because he started winning in ways that had not been done before and they didn't know what to call them, which I'm sure you guys know. Um, mm-hmm. And they actually had to ask him to stop doing some of the things he was doing because they were afraid it was going to hurt Rikishi. Um, So this is because obviously Mongolian sumo background, but also I wonder if there is an element to the idea that whereas before, and again, you'd have to ask a Rikishi about this. They could easily tell me, no, you're wrong. You're an idiot. Fuck off. And I would agree and be like, that's fine. But um, Whereas before, maybe the idea of winning, Konishki said this, in the 80s, you didn't just want to win. You wanted to win with your thing, with your move, with your style. And if you didn't mm-hmm. win with your style, it was not good enough. And that is something that is instilled in you, I assume, as part of the sumo culture. And Konishki, of course, is a foreigner. So he adopted that culture. It wasn't from the from the jump. But I, I do feel, again, it goes back to Hakuho. What is the style of sumo? Winning. I do feel like the Mongolian wrestlers a lot of them, obviously not all of them. Terano Fuji is an awesome example, again, of a sublime Yokozuna, a great style of sumo and adherence to that style, a personality in that style. But the Mongolian Rikishi were not known for that. They were known for being technical wizards who could win in crazy situations under crazy circumstances. They were not trying, as far as I could ever see, to project themselves 
into their sumo to win in a certain way. They were just like doing what they got to do and they were amazing at it. But they didn't have that sort of Kiseno Sato vibe where it's just like, I want to get my left hand inside. And if I get my left hand inside, I'm going to win every time, which I really like. But I think you combine that, the ballooning of Rikishi, you know, the, the which sort of increases power at the offset of speed and certain ability to do certain techniques, plus the laxing of the adherence to ideals of sumo that say you need your own brand, you need to win in a certain way, and you go more to just like, well, just win. Yeah. And well, what's the natural conclusion? Huh? If this huge dude gets sidestepped, he's going to either run himself out of the ring or fall over. I'm going to start sidestepping. I'm going to start slapping down. I'm going to start doing what I can to get him to run out of the ring or fall over. I may wish that I was a big beefy guy who could just walk people out. I may wish I was a Chiono Fuji who could pick up a 600 pound man and yeet him off out of the ring. But isn't it a lot easier if I just try to like you know, just kind of <laughs> slap him down. And that is my ongoing theory that that sort of led to the competition in sumo being a bit less, it's a bit more lackluster starting around, I started to see it around 2002, 2003, the end of the Musashimaru era, Takanohana was out, Asashoryu was just destroying everybody and Asashoryu was amazing. <laughs> like the reason that the guys who were so dominant were so dominant is because they were incredible fighters in perhaps an era where it felt almost like a lot of that shit that everybody seemed to know in the 70s like you had to know how to do everything how to you had to know how to fight like hakuho but with a hundred fewer pounds to even hang around in makuuchi in the 70s now it feels like if you get even an enho or an Ura, who, like, they're exciting, but they're exciting because they tend to use rare Kimarite. There's not always a lot of, like, minute-to-minute stuff going on. You go back, you watch Wakashimazu fight, and every half second, he is doing something with his arms, with his body, with his legs, with his whatever. And that's because he was a dude who weighed, like, probably 260, 270. I mean, you know, in the middle 80s, fighting Konishiki, fighting Asashio, fighting Kotokaze, fighting Onokuni, fighting these big fucking dudes. He wasn't Chiono Fuji Herculean strength. It was just that 70s technique holdover that was enough for him to remain Ozeki until, you know, he retired under whatever circumstances. And we don't have a lot of that anymore. I think if we could get back to a place where we had that level of technique, but with more of kind of the the balanced body you see in some people today yeah. where they're they're not so big that they have that they're super susceptible to those kind of anti-sumo moves, you would get people who looked more like Hakuho. Haruma Fuji, great example. Yeah. Brilliant technician, not gifted the same body as Hakuho. If he was a little bit taller and a little bit heavier and a little bit stronger, I bet he would have been taking away from Hakuho's title pool a lot more, you know? Asashoryu even, super strong. Physically oh, yeah. very strong. You hear stories, it's like, oh, he was a big gym head too. Of course, there was an age factor. Like, I think you fight like Asashoryu for as long as he did. I feel like you're kind of running on borrowed time. I feel yeah. the same yeah. way about the guys in the 80s. You keep in mind, I sing the praises of Onokuni. He's the youngest Yokozuna to ever retire. I mean, wow. he because he was giving it his all with that frame for so long that by the time he hit 28, he was breaking down already. It's just, I don't know. I think it was just something different. Maybe that's a trade-off you want. We have we have Yokozuna who could fight on to 36, even if maybe they shouldn't have. That's my other take. Yeah. Here's my real hot take. I think Hakuho <laughs> inflated his career, uh, artificially inflated his career with the way that he 
peculiarly used his Yokozuna Kyujo privilege in a way that was not super precedented. People uh... like to talk shit on Kiseno Sato. You've got to understand the circumstances. Kiseno Sato had never missed a match in his entire career yeah. at the point where that happened. He also required serious surgery for a major injury that fucked up his entire fighting style and was pressured not to, well, felt pressure not to get surgery you know, the back and forth. You guys know the story, right? Yeah. So we were like, oh, Kiseno Sato sat out seven times. Takano Hano sat out eight times or whatever it was. That's true. Hakuho didn't have a streak that long. What Hakuho did instead was from 2015 onward. So for the second entire half of his career, seven years out of 14 years as a Yokozuna, he was a part-time Yokozuna. He sat out part or all of at least one tournament, I believe, every year from 2015 on including some years like 2021, you know, or 2020, yeah. where he was barely around at all because it was yeah. again. He dragged that shit out. He did. Kaiho got he, hurt like twice and was like, ah, fuck it, I'm done. You know, yeah. like <laughs> Kitano Umi wanted to retire earlier and the association was like, please, God, stay around until you, until we open the new Koku Gikan. It's just, it was a different thing. And maybe you can blame the Takanohana thing, setting a precedent for that. You can blame Kisano Sato because it maybe made him feel like he had more leeway to do that. But at the end of the day, if he had retired after it became clear he could no longer uphold his duties, he still would have had the most titles of all time. I did the yeah. math on that. He had beat the record by 2015. He could have dipped out, but he's Hakuos. He was like, eh, fuck it. As long as when I show up, even if it's only twice a year, I win then they can't really give me too much shit for it. And he did that for seven years, which is crazy. That's longer than most Yokozuna are Yokozuna. And I don't think people factor that into sort of the conversation. Not that it even takes that much away from his statistical dominance. He's still, even with that in, he's still numerically the top dog. But yeah. to me, that 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 should be an asterisk on his so, record. So do, do you feel that that kind of like, because, uh, you know, there's the quantitative, you know, like what's measurable, the quantitative aspect of Hakuho Sumo that is undeniable. But then, like, I see a lot of people have more of an issue with the qualitative side of his sumo and like his conduct you know right. people would say that he didn't have the the hinkaku or that you know whatever um he beat Terana fuji you know his roar like that was unseemly you know and and so i could see that like ruffling some feathers and you know pissing some people off but you know looking back on it and seeing that as his final you show then it's like okay right. he that that was just him doing it with gusto it his way yeah yeah i i hate that whenever they say oh well that's my style it's just winning i to me i i felt like he was pulling uh pulling wins out of thin air he would pull techniques and pull like uh crazy wacky ways to get out of situations just like on the fly and it was just almost like it was almost magical in a way i guess i know that sounds so fucking cheesy but but to me like hakuho could make something out of nothing you know and that's that's kind of like how i felt what his personal style was and i i love that he did it like yeah it, i don't know i i just thought that was a cool way to end your career you know is that conduct becoming of a yokozuna probably not so i i could i could accept that criticism i see i never begrudged takuho of the yell and you can check this on twitter because i tweeted about it i was like don't give him shit for this like you cannot give this man shit for this what we ask of rikishi is so like inhuman to contain themselves in those moments and Hakuho in that moment was probably having a bigger he was having the biggest moment in sumo yeah really it was the greatest of all time, statistically, uh, <laughs> going out on a Zen show, you show a comeback from grievous injuries, fighting essentially with one leg 
and mm-hmm. he still beat everybody in the top division on his way to that flawless victory. Like that is emotional. That was intense. That was a scream out of like, oh my God, I did this. It was a scream out of, holy fuck, my knee is on fire. I mean, <laughs> cannot ask that man not to do that because nobody in the fucking world could have kept it in, Seriously? you know, in that circumstances. And no one will ever be in that exact circumstance again. I mean, the Takanohana demon face is the closest analog. Um, but even that, the stakes were not nearly as high. Like Hakuho had so much more on the line. So I never held that against him and I would clown on anybody who tried to. What I held against Hakuho in that tournament that I thought was despicable was the Shodai match. That pissed me the fuck off and continues to piss me the fuck off. Here's the thing. This is the other asterisk I think you should give Hakuho, which is not to say that he's the only Rikishi or Yokozuna to ever do shit like this. Uh, But you, the idea is that you as a Yokozuna you, you get your hands tied behind your back a little bit in a way because you're supposed to just be that good. So the idea is that when you're Yokozuna, there are some things you just shouldn't do. They're not going to say in writing, you can't do them. They may only give you a little bit of a verbal lashing if you do them too much. But the idea is that the rank is above them. And some of the things that Hakuho really liked to do, and one of the things I would argue he helped to kind of popularize that's far more common now than it seemed to be back in the day, one of them would be demanding deference at the tachiai. I don't like that at all. How he would sit there and stare at people until they put their hands down first so that he could always decide when and how the match starts. If you are the greatest of all time, why do you need to do that? The former greatest of all time did not feel the need to do that. That was one of the things that rubbed me the wrong way. Obviously, his particular style of kachiage, people say, oh, it's a move. Ramming your elbow bone into people's skulls and jaws so that they get disoriented. I have not seen anyone other than like Osunarashi do that. It was again <laughs> a, a post-Hakuho Rikishi. I have seen Kachiage, but as a move, it looks a lot different than what Hakuho was doing. Hakuho was yeah. elbowing people in the face. And he was doing that, and he was slapping the dog shit out of people on a very consistent basis. Again, I don't really have an issue with slaps. I maybe have an issue with, like, it's just, it is less... That's what it comes down to. The word's less impressive. When you feel the need to have to try and knock somebody out like he did to Miyogiryu in 2012 at the jump, you feel the need to have to control the start of the match from the beginning, even when it sort of scoffs at the the traditional understanding of the rules. Mm -hmm. You feel the need to to deny Shodai Atachiai because you know you couldn't take it. Like, if you have to win under those circumstances... If you can only win when you show up to work twice a year, <laughs> then it's time to go. And he did not go. Give somebody else a chance. When us. most other Rikishi in his position, well, then again, there's never been a Rikishi in his position. So it's hard to say. There's so many things that are exceptional about Hakuho in his career that explain, I think, the reason that it went the way that it did. There won't ever be another Hakuho in so many ways. That is absolutely true. And again, incredible Rikishi. I don't think that he is the greatest to ever do sumo. I don't think that if we had a dream match in heaven between him, not that he's dead, but everybody else, (laughs) him and X number of other guys, that he would be the one to come out on top. And I can't argue that point other than just encouraging people to go back and watch more sumo from the past, to watch it religiously, to watch Hakuho religiously. But uh, I don't know. You've done the research, like literally watch. It's the a tape. process is the yeah. thing. That's why I hesitate to talk about it just because I don't feel like these thoughts are fully formed. 
I don't feel like, but I promised you guys hot takes. And so I feel I could just, <laughs> and maybe you'll get hate mail and that'll be cool. That means you've made it. I think. Uh, I, I think that you do have valid reasons for having these opinions though, because I can tell you really do the work, you know, you really study how people, how they do their sumo and you, you look at the numbers and you look at all the details and you take all of that information together to formulate your own judgments. So I'm not going to hold it against no, yeah. you. It's it, very academic and I fucking love yeah, it. Yeah, no, you're you're serious about sumo. You're serious about Hell studying yeah. sumo. And that is that is very admirable. And, and I think, you know, it, it gives more weight to these uh, very, very spicy takes that yeah, you have. Very epistemologically <laughs> sound spicy takes. <laughs> we only got a few minutes left besides Hakuho. Um, any other hot takes for us? I mean, any hot takes about amateur sumo? No, I'm not in it enough, like to know yet. I don't know. Some opinions I thought I have about amateur sumo, the more I watch, the more I'm like, oh no, yeah, there's just some really good. I think in general, for obvious reasons, like it doesn't have, I wish the Tachii were stronger. I don't like the, the ref says go Tachii at all. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if, could you hold a tournament where you're like, actually we're doing fucking street rules, homie. Yeah. Uh, or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it I probably like- wouldn't be sanctioned by the Federation, mm-hmm. but I mean, that's not to stop anyone from saying, all right, let's do this like, you know, this way. I don't know. I feel like it adds a certain um, and this is almost me going against what I just said, because obviously a synchronized Tachii is perfection and great. And when it was all synchronized, like 70s, they always are like in sync all the time. Yeah. It's great. Into the early 80s before the standing Tachii thing, it was great all the time. And then after that, pretty great generally. But nowadays, there's a lot of gamesmanship at the Tachii has been for like the last 15, 20 years. Yeah. And um, it kind of pisses me off when I feel like you are like claiming rank or whatever. Um, but as an element of the play, it can be interesting, you know, especially if it's two equally ranked Rikishi and it's like, oh, you know, they're trying to. One of the things Hakuho did that was tactically brilliant. I'll give him this. It was tactically brilliant. There's a, a Hakuho match against Takakesho. I think it was probably it might have been after Takakesho beat him, though, like one time that Takakesho beat him. I'm not sure, though. But um, Hakuho does a little bit of like chicanery with the start. And he eventually is like, I'm going to get Takakesho to put his hands down. And once he does, what Hakuho does to initiate the match is he he stands there. He's fully standing up and he waits for Takakesho to get all the way down in a double fist down crouching position. And Hakuho, I've never seen anyone else do this. He goes from standing to Tachiai immediately. He goes from standing up to just like, boom, go. <laughs> so that he could get the jump on Takakesho and completely cut out the possibility of Takakesho starting his momentum and his movement. And I was like, does that take away kind of the spirit of the Tachi eye and the sport? Yes. Was it a smart move to do to beat this guy? Yes, it was. And that's, <laughs> that sort of sums up my opinion about Hakuho's career in general. And I think Hakuho, in terms of his, I don't, I, I think he, he, he was very dignified. You ever read the way he talks? He's yeah. a huge student mm-hmm. of sumo. He is in many ways, like this man probably loves sumo more than anyone alive today. I mean, you can't take that away from him, but yeah. he is also a reformer in a lot of ways. And he, his career was sort of a reformist career, I think. And maybe the rest of the world should catch up, but maybe something important in sumo could get lost along the way if more people were like Hakuo. I don't think his behavior outside the ring 
was that bad. The the extra shoves and shit kind of, you know, they rub me the wrong way, but like they happen. You don't really see them happen with a lot of other figures to the same extent. Oh, a Yama one does where it. he nails Ichino Joe in the face after he's clearly out like several seconds, which reminds yeah. me of a time Asashoryu did the same thing to Kiseno Sato <laughs> in the face twice. Like those two, there's something about it. But um, I don't think you should nitpick that shit and say, oh, he wasn't a dignified. Like, I think he showed a ton of a ton of dignity in class, especially under a lot of increased adversity. And yeah. I think he deserves credit for that. Um, however, Hakuho fanboys would have him. They, they would have him enthroned. To him, he is an unassailable figure who you cannot critique, whose career you cannot analyze outside of goat emoji, goat emoji, goat emoji. <laughs> and that shit wears me out. And that's why I like Sumo Twitter a lot better because people on Sumo Twitter, Sumo Facebook, holy shit, it's kind of a cesspool sometimes, especially yeah. at tournament time. Sumo Twitter, there are people who Sumo know Twitter's more than great. there are people who know a lot more than me who educate me on stuff, either because they can work Sumo DB like a wizard, they have all this statistical information, or some of them are like people in sort of a John Jack zone where they've just been sumo insiders for a long time and they can yeah. inform you and they have polite discussion. The only downside is yeah. it's Twitter. So you can't fucking type more than 240 characters at a time, which makes <laughs> having discussion really hard. So I love all my sumo Twitter people. You guys are awesome. If you're listening to this, you, you rock. And thanks for teaching me as much as you have sumo Facebook. The communities have brought me a lot. They are great, but the sort of openness, the free for all of it. And the fact that you get like, some of these groups, I'm a moderator for Sumo Sumo Sumo. It's got 20,000 plus members Woo! in it. And it is hard to keep that shit civil sometimes. Yeah, and it really can burn me out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, Noah, it has been so fucking fun talking to you today. Thanks. Where can other people find you on the internets? So if you're interested in my sumo content, which I'm going to assume you are, um, the best place to see art, uh, it would be my Instagram, which is my full name. So that's Noah Wellbrock Tally as one word, N-O-A-H-W-E-L-L-B-R-O-C-K-T-A-L-L-E-Y. Very it's brave just putting your government name out there like that. You know what? Uh, I have a tangent for that too, but I would want you to cut it out. So we're going to talk about that. Um <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, f follow me there. You'll see my sumo art. And then I, I am not like brand savvy enough to make, some people will make like 40 Instagram accounts and it's like, this is for my photography and this is for my drawings of bears and this is for my Etsy where I make crochet <laughs> owls. Not me. I'm like, whatever I make, it goes on the same Instagram. So you'll see the sumo stuff. You'll see the realistic sumo stuff, the cartoon sumo stuff, cartoons of other things, D&D stuff. If I ever make paintings again, you'll see those, you know, whatever it is, it goes on the Instagram. But if you want to see clips of retro match footage, my opinions on everything sumo and also my sumo art, then follow me on sumo Twitter um, at sumo zeki, which is the word sumo and then zeki. It's both a play on sumo and ozeki, and also the it's fact that zeki show. is the nominal yeah. honorific that's added to the end of Rikishi names because I think I'm clever. Um, and so that's where I am probably most active. And that's kind of my sumo space that I like the most. I am a moderator of some sumo Facebook groups. All the listeners of this podcast are probably already members of those groups. So I don't know that I need to plug them, but, you know, follow world of sumo, follow sumo, 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 join the group, make the culture a little nicer in yes, triple S. Please. Please. <laughs> like I, again, here's my disclaimer for the whole episode. 
if you have a piece of information that you think completely debunks some of my whack-ass theories that I went on, please present that to me in like a respectful way, and I will fully accept it and change my mind. Because again, I am just working on these things. This is based on what I've observed about Sumo that has informed my opinions as they are, but they're a work in progress. It's why I don't talk about them too much unless I'm asked, but I was asked. He was um, we And so if you're listening to this and you're going, actually, idiot, wrestlers were fat in 1975 and there were tons of Hataki Komis, then I'll be like, okay, you're right. Then I have to change, you know, I would love to see that. But um, anyway, yeah, that's, that's my disclaimer. Don't add me as a friend on Facebook, please. Lots of people <laughs> see me on there through Sumo and they're like, I'm going to see if he wants to be friends with me. And I don't, I'm sure you're great, <laughs> but I don't know you. And you know, I'm friends with Matt through exactly that interaction because I clicked on his profile and was like, all right, this guy seems cool. But half the time they're like, send me a friend request. I go to their profile. I'm like, fuck, you really like Candace Owens. Damn. <laughs> and then I just, I'm like, I don't want this request. Like you did not get enough out of me as a person to think this through, dude. Um, so yep, yeah. I've definitely had that exact experience before. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. That's awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. We yeah. look forward to uh, to talking to you again. Sweet. Dude, fucking... Uh, no he's, one knows his shit. He okay? knows his shit. Not only that, he's just not only so knowledgeable, he's fucking he's passionate. He's like a sumo academic. I know, I know that. <laughs> I fucking love that about him. Part of the the episode was so long is because it was so fascinating just to hear him like info dumping about all this like you know the history of like sumo from the 70s until now and then how all this shit's connected he and it's like the, the red strings are being connected to one another and it was just fucking mind he knows his shit and it makes sense and it's you just feel like you learned some shit exactly and he's a fantastic ass artist Fuck we're yeah. gonna put some of his artwork up on our instagram we're also going to try to splice in some of it on the YouTube version of this episode. And you're also going to just see it on the internet no matter what. Sumo oh, yeah, Twitter definitely. especially. So um, Absolutely. He has a red bubble shop. Yeah. As do we. Yeah. So you can go there, purchase some of his shit, purchase some of our shit. Of course, ours is Sumo Punks. His is I have no fucking clue, but we'll figure it out and put it in the description. <laughs> <laughs> we will. We'll, we'll put it in the description. You can also find us all over the social medias. We're on the Facebook, the Twitters, the Instagrams. You can email us. It's always going to be Sumo Punks. Punks is spelled with an X unless it's on Twitter. Then it's Punks Sumo because I fucked that shit up. <laughs> But, uh, yep, that's our show, and we got lots more other shit coming up, so, uh, yeah, we're gonna be throwing a whole bunch of content at y'all soon. And definitely look out for us doing commentary on the SoCal Sumo Open. Again, that's going to be on the... Maximum Effort Studios YouTube channel. Yes, what he said. All <laughs> right, that's it. Bye! Bye! Bye!